This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Uh, I'm sure as you've already heard uh, with um, BBC News, terror in Belgium, terrorist attacks, explosions in the Brussels airport in the subway as well. 26 people, I believe, are uh, known dead and then um, others injured, many, many others injured. So they expect that toll to go up as well. Tragedy, again, just a few days after they caught the terrorist suspect from the Paris uh terrorist what do we call that terrorist attack attack and so um again all you need to do is watch the video and you'll you'll get those feelings that you had you know 9-11 all of the even the san bernardino created this sense of terror as well (sighs) it's not going away no and it's i don't know i'm reading a lot of stuff this morning the uh one of the concerns they're having is this uh terrorist suspect that was caught the other day yeah that they thought it was a smaller cell that he was involved in. Now they're thinking it's 22 people, 30 people, oh, wow. 40. They're not sure how big this goes. He was living in a neighborhood they were the police were operating in, trying to you know search out and find him for four months. Oh. And he was just walking around. You just know, kept doing moving. It. People were protecting him. It was some, some order uh, that was uh, abnormally large to a pizza uh, establishment oh, yeah. where they made a delivery that the cops picked up on for some reason and show up and that's where they found the guy because of a pizza delivery. Man. And what what they had a shootout. He got shot in the leg or something. Something like that. Was yeah. arrested. What this brings back up is this idea that came up a uh, year, year and a half ago of no go zones in Europe. Neighborhoods where the, even the police don't just go can't in. go there. The idea was debunked. Right. right? There was a French TV channel I remember went to London and the guy went in joking around, had a, a military helmet on, like, I'm going into the no-go zone. And he was interviewing people, and everyone's like, no, this is a nice neighborhood. There's no problem. Huh. And, and generally, it's kind of been debunked, but now it's back, and here we have this guy living in a neighborhood yeah. that everyone in the neighborhood says that people that live there are of, uh, you know, come from Arab countries, largely undocumented and so is this a real thing? Are no-go zones, because they're, they're said to be in Florida, or not Florida, but in uh, France, in London, in Belgium, uh-huh. they said there's two neighborhoods that they're concerned with. That you just can't. That the police don't go into. That they, There's no deliveries there unless it's coming from a local establishment there. Like ambulance service shows up, and it's even a danger for them to go in there. Well, and there's a huge issue. Europe is like the United States in that – you know, country by country, side by side, and not everyone has the same levels of security. Mm-hmm. So you could cross the river, perform a terrorist act, and be back in another country right. <laughs> safe and sound. And so one of the problems security-wise is they ha- they don't have a unified, secure Europe. And well, one, it's hard to secure One thing I heard just countries. now, Brussels itself has is a, a country with six mayors. Oh wow! There's only yeah. there's only 1.8 million people in the in the country. Yeah, right. There's six mayors. There's like six different police forces. But then you have a city like New York mm-hmm. with eight million people. There's one mayor, one mayor, one, one police, police chief. chief. You know, 
<laughs> One so fire trying chief. to unify just in that oh. area of Belgium, the, the, the police response is, is Unbelievable. crazy, too. It's also the headquarters of the European Union. Exactly. And add to it the complexity of the Syrian refugees flooding to Europe. They're not necessarily flooding to the United States. They're flooding to Europe. And now Europe is feeling even more pressure. Now it's, I mean, that's at capacity for its ability to handle people and even integrate. One of the big issues they're talking about are integrating these communities, employing these communities. And so that creates more pressure and it creates, you know, almost the perfect ripe environment to foster terrorism. Mm. And again, tragedy. It's just, and you just see it. You just watch the videos in the faces of these people. You see, are you kidding me? No. The carnage that they have seen. So our prayers go out to them, man. And it's a again, it's this isn't going away, folks. This is the world war on terrorism, right? I wonder what it's going to end up doing to our elections. Right. The more the closer these get, the more it validates certain beliefs, prejudice. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they all come out responding today. I'm sure they'll come out with a nice measured conciliatory approach. Yes, yes. Yeah. The uh, president in Cuba he yes. will be speaking. I th- I thought I read in the next hour or so he he was scheduled to uh, to speak to the people of Cuba, but he's going to obviously have to spend some time on on this event of this morning. So did you see Did you see the press conference between the president Raúl and President Obama? The awkward raising the awkward, of hands. Yeah, the, a handshake that turned into like. Don't touch me. It is awkward. <laughs> and also how President Obama kept baiting him a little bit to, you know, no, just we, let's just answer questions. We just answer yeah. questions to They're the having press. a press conference, and Raul Castro doesn't have press conferences. We don't talk to the press. No one talks. to The, uh, the president does not answer questions. And so they, <laughs> the, the first question I asked was about political prisoners. <laughs> so, and he went off on, there's no such thing here. What? Give me a list. That's Who do offensive. You, you know? Why are you even saying that? And then he shut it down because uh, I said I'd answer one. And this is going too far. We'll, yeah. we'll be here all day. <laughs> that was interesting. It is. It is. It's neat in a way to see your president trying to, you know, get this country that's backwards. You know, kind of turning a little bit more forwards. Right. Move it forward. But try, then, try, a- answer the media. They're right here. Answer some questions. And yeah. it just it was such a foreign concept. Did you hear the Bill Clinton made a comment that then got misconstrued? No so, way. So he, yeah, can you believe that? In the in the media by and by the GOP, but he basically made a comment. It was, I guess it was this. He said, "If we believe we can rise together, if you believe we finally come to the point where we can put the awful legacy of the last eight years behind us, oh, and the seven years before that, how's that misconstrued? Where we were practicing trickle down economics, then you should vote for her." Now, what he was, he may, he didn't mean the awful legacy of Obama. He meant the awful legacy of the GOP uh, basically getting in the way of Obama and why, why didn't healthy he say legislation. That? He didn't say that, He though. didn't say it that way. <laughs> and so the GOP so that, just jumped right on it. Is like, that See? misconstrued or do they just go, well, you said this verbatim? Well, well I think and... in context he had also been right. just talking about the obstructionist approach. But <laughs> – you got to be careful, right? I mean, this goes back to what Obama's uh, comments about uh, what you didn't pay for those roads, or you, yeah. your, your the the way your business is built up. His point was your business is built up on the infrastructure surrounding it. Yeah. So we're all in this together, and people are like, "I built this business." Hold it! You You're saying I didn't build a business? Don't take credit for my business. You know? So. Yeah. 
But you'd think Bill would know that. I bet you his wife just thinks, oh, yeah, William. What are you doing? William Jefferson, quit talking. He's Remember, when this whole thing started, he was going to be the biggest asset for her. That was the and story. He's pretty much been you know, hidden away in a closet, it seems like. Well, the second they brought him out, then Trump brought up all the yeah. infidelities and they oh, backed him back into the closet again. On. Go hide back here, Bill. Back to the closet, Bill. <laughs> so it's going to happen again because they'll bring Bill back out and then Trump will just try to... Hit him over there, or or if, like you said, you, we talked about this before. If they go misogynist, yeah, he'll go. What's your husband? Oh, oh it's <laughs> there is some really crazy. Did you hear this news? Oh, um, therapists are having a heyday on Trump. Psychologists and massage therapists are reporting that Trump anxiety is is on the uprise with their clients. I love how massage therapists are in this too. <laughs> Go ahead. Do you get tension in the shoulders? What is it? Oh, it's Trump. Oh, You're okay. not a real therapist, you know. <laughs> no, yes, I am. So to catalog, um, you know, her uh, client's anxieties, that you know, they put them in a, they put, a, they have kind of a structure for how they organize. Therapy, marriage therapy, children therapy, child therapy, career therapy. Psychologist Allison Howard is now listening to a new source of stress that they're calling the Donald Trump therapy. In recent days, at least two patients have invoked the Republican frontrunner, including one who talked at length about being disturbed that Trump can be so divisive and popular at the same time. So now, I mean, it's been brought up in church before. We've had Trump brought up in our church as of I. Meetings. We have we bring him up in our other meetings. He's just for some he's just fun. Yeah. But for others he's there's he, real he's killing concern. Them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um how can how can we elect such a bad person, people are saying? He stirred so much up in people, this therapist said. We've been told our whole lives not to say bad things about people, not to be bullies, not to ostracize people based on their skin color. We have these social mores, and he breaks all of them, and he's successful. And people are wondering how he gets away with it. Because people let him. You know why? Trump University. There's a degree? There's a degree. (laughs) How to get away with everything at Trump University. Anyway, so now even psychologists have to to take this on. Wow. It's a tough tough life. I can see that, though, because if you're someone who— tries to watch the news stay informed it may affect you adversely because it's a lot of negativity at times oh yeah oh yeah and then do you even believe what the the candidates are saying no so when they say we're going to change this economy we're going to turn it around we're going to immediately create jobs they don't know what they're doing do they do you really think no the president could get in there what do they know about job creation donald trump are you kidding He's created thousands, of tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands. Did you see of his jobs. press? He had a press conference yesterday in mm-hmm. uh, D.C. No, he of course held it at the site of his new hotel they're building, <laughs> which will, by the way, create jobs. Right, and so I think he he held basically a job interview right in the middle of the press conference. Oh, he did. A woman was called up. He talked to her, and he goes, "Well, if we can figure out a uh, a salary structure. We'll hire you." And you're just like, well, <laughs> Mr. Trump, there's not a building yet. I'm like, the whole point of that was he was saying, look, I make jobs. He doesn't hire people. <laughs> look, I just made a job right there. He has a whole staff of people that take care of that. That's so true. Granted, granted he says, hey, let's build a building, and that creates jobs for that, that area, but I don't know. See, what people don't understand with Trump will have a country full of gardeners and, and roommates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, well, our houses will be very clean. Yeah. Do, does any politician know how to create jobs across the nation? No. I think they know how they know, they know how to you know sell a good plan. Yeah. What they talk about, they always talk about growth. In fact, we're, our, our first guest this morning, Dr. John Short, is going to talk to us about maybe the best role model for job creation isn't kind of at a national level. It might very well just simply be cities. Cities are booming. And uh, they're a great example of how, and how you actually generate um, money and jobs and opportunity and efficiency. So he's going to talk to us about maybe focusing more of our growth strategies on like the way cities do, instead of just this idea that we're going to grow the entire economy. Let's just grow our productivity, our efficiencies, which are what the majority of the major cities are doing. Uh, He'll be with us in just a minute to talk about that. But before we get there, Let's go to Terry South, find out what's going on around the rest of the world. Terry? Thanks, Matt. The New York City Police Department is tightening security across its mass transit points Tuesday on news of the Brussels terror attacks that left 26 people dead, 136 people injured. A spokesperson said uh, New Yorkers should expect to see increased police presence at subway stations, landmarks, bridges, and tunnels following the attacks in Brussels Airport and the city's subway station. A Belgian public prosecutor said at least one of the explosions was caused by a suicide attack. Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump wasted no time in reiterating one of his few clear policy positions in the wake of Tuesday's terror attacks in Brussels. He said, I would close up our borders to people until we figure out what's going on, he told Fox News. We can't have these attacks anymore, he added. We have to be very, very careful who comes into our country. So you were asking, what what are the politicians saying? Well, there's one. Gotta be careful. Shut her down. For what is being called Western Tuesday... In Arizona, Donald Trump is leading with 46%, followed by Ted Cruz with 33%, and John Kasich with 17%. In Utah, Cruz with a big lead, holding 42% of the vote. Kasich at 13%, Trump at 21%, and I think Marco Rubio has 11 or something. I think we're calling it Super Tuesday the 4th. Okay. For the Democrats, uh, Hillary Clinton has 52% 52 to 44% over Bernie Sanders in Utah. Mm. So... Hillary. There's your Super Tuesday the 4th? The 4th update. President Obama and Raul Castro jointly addressed the public Monday after they sat down for a meeting at the Palace of the Revolution. Castro pressed Obama to end the U.S. embargo. Obama pushed Castro to respect freedom of speech and assembly. We believe that when we share our deepest beliefs and ideas with an attitude of mutual respect, that we can both learn and make make the lives of our people better, Obama Hmm. said. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. What comes out of that? In a motion filed Monday, the Department of Justice asked to delay a hearing scheduled for Tuesday over the FBI's demand that F- that Apple help unlock an encrypted iPhone used by one of the San Bernardino shooters. Federal prosecutors said an outside party has shown the FBI a potential method for unlocking the phone and that the government needs time to figure it out, figure if that method will work com- to compromise the phone's uh, data, let the FBI in without Apple being Isn't involved. Isn't that the strangest thing? Out of nowhere. They yeah, just now like- can... Everyone's like, oh, you, so, oh. They, so did the NSA call you and say, hey, we've been doing this for years? They, 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 no, they did a Google search. <laughs> In a statement, the spokesperson for the Department of Justice said the government is cautiously optimistic the method will work, eliminating the need for Apple's assistance. So I'm going to bet somebody was bluffing. Yes. Or they looked at the uh, 
the tea leaves, I guess you could say, just mm-hmm. trying to predict what's up. And the Department of Justice went, we're going to lose this. We're going to lose this, and it's going to cost a lot of money. More so we'll just stupid. back out and make it look like we know what we're doing. And let's just go to the NSA who's going to open it in the first place. Hmm, interesting stuff. Anyway, folks, uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Jonathan Schultz will be joining us. He is um, a, a, an expert in economics at uh, and studied at uh, Yale University. will be joining us to discuss... Really, the, the, the fastest way we can improve our own uh, economy. Is it focusing where? Where do we want to focus? Nationally or more locally? When we focus on the cities, apparently the cities have the best method for all of us uh, uh, you know, to grow and to create more productivity. Might be a great, great opportunity. We'll, stick, we'll take a break, folks. We'll come right back. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're talking economic growth up next. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, the state of our economy is one at, uh, one of the greatest concerns facing the nation. And with massive public concern and the topic overtaking many of our current presidential debates, you know, many of us are looking for some real answers to solve our economic woes. And according to our guest today, Dr. John Short, professor of public policy at the University of Maryland, Baltimore, uh, uh, those answers, you know, may not actually be answered at a global level. They may not even be answered at a national level. Maybe the best answers for our economy and how to get some progress happening might be more at the city level. In a recent article he wrote uh, titled, uh, Want the Economy to Grow? It's Time to Look at Cities and Efficiency. Uh, He discussed the need for growth and the expansion of our current cities. We're excited to have him here to help us understand a little bit better what we can do to improve the economy. Dr. John Short, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Good morning, Matt. Delighted to be here. Great to have you. Now, what what an interesting uh, topic, because when we think of, when we even use the word economic growth, it seems like a lot of times what we're talking about is just growing, making it bigger, making creating more money, more things that we're building. But in your article, it seems like you're you're arguing a, a different approach than just this growth strategy. Uh, sure. I think there's a couple of things. The first is a lot of the current debates are pitched at this incredibly large, almost national level. And they say, well, you know, the two themes are, well, let's reduce taxes or, you know, let's tax the wealthy. Both of them seem like policies from the the 1980s, to be honest. That's why the electorate's a bit turned off by uh, the current range of uh, political debates. And they really don't say much about what's happening on the ground um, or how we could actually leverage real effects and my argument, as many other people, is that you know three quarters of our GDP in America occurs in 100 metro areas. Hmm. If we could improve economic performance in our big cities, we can have a dramatic impact, more so than any notion of taxation policies. But yet, you know, the political debate seems to be stuck in this. 30-year-old debate about macroeconomics, whereas my argument is we need to be looking at much more everyday 
effects of improving efficiency uh, so that we create more growth through um, uh, creating efficiencies that uh, uh, allow a much more uh, productive economy. Yeah. I mean, if, if, 100, if 100 of our cities produce three-quarters of the GDP mm-hmm. and we could improve those cities by 20 percent in performance productivity, yeah, tons of – Tons of money, sure. tons All of opportunity. To do is, and there's a crying need for this. I yeah. mean, cities are places where the, the bulk of economic growth, but there's also the places where there's all kinds of you know snarls and traffic jams. I you know live in Washington D.C. and last week the the metro was closed for 24. Yeah, hours. I heard that. <laughs> what a nightmare! Can you imagine the no. costs of that for businesses, for yeah. government, for individuals? struggling to, you know, get babysitters and the like. I mean, you multiply the cost of that for, you know, a three million metro region, it's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> uh, so, you know, those kinds of things. Or people sitting in a traffic jam in the 405 in L.A. or, you know, or in Chicago. We're wasting tremendous amounts of energy, uh, money, um, time. Um, and yet, you know, if you could improve these things, you would have a dramatic impact uh, in the in the short to medium and indeed long term. Well, and and in a, in a way, you would actually be creating more jobs, right? Because these cities would be growing. They'd they'd also be bringing in if they were running more efficiently. They'd be bringing in more um, more businesses, more opportunities, more technology, more innovation. Sure, if more you're tax money. Less on uh, less time and money sitting in a traffic jam or waiting for the metro to mm-hmm. work. You would be doing other things, more productive things. You would now, be spending more money. There's a, a sort of multiplier effect, and yet, for some reason, the, the our, our debates at, the, at least the presidential level seem to be stuck at this groove of national economy or taxation, quite fairly crude methods, you know, to kind of get the thing up and running, whereas there's lots of things you can do at the local level, at the metropolitan level, to, you know, kind of leverage small-scale incremental changes that over the, across the nation and across time have quite dramatic impacts in improving the efficiency. I, I Last week, uh, it was spring break, so I had a research trip to Zurich in Switzerland, and I travelled everywhere on public transport that moved. It was mm. almost like a... Uh, uh, sort of um, uh, a metaphor for Switzerland in general. Yeah. Everything ran on time and precise, but the cost savings were just tremendous. Everyone could rely on it. Everyone knew about it. If you rely on public transport, say, or getting to a meeting in a, a busy metropolitan area, that's not quite the same, and those have real costs. Right, and, and you can, even like with what we're seeing in Brussels, Belgium, it's got to be if you're if everyone's using public transport it might be easier to create more efficiencies even maintain better security cleanliness sure. of yeah. cities and streets yeah i mean it it makes a great case i guess the the problem is um we for some reason especially in the united states our 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 presidential you know nom or candidates are not i guess respecting that that version of it. I think it's almost like they – where we hear about the local government is when we hear about Flint, Michigan ruin, ruining their water and poisoning their people. Sure. Yeah, I, I think 
No, no, I think I think cities are also the places where there are often innovative things happening across yeah. America and across the world. And cities are learning from each other all around the world. And so, for example, climate change issue, climate change mitigation or adaption uh, policy is very difficult to get anything done, you know, through the U.S. Congress for the moment. But cities are actively working, doing all kinds of things hmm. on a on a non-partisan basis. You know, they're seeing a problem. Uh, so, for example, green roofs in Chicago, for example. You know, it's not particularly sexy, but it's not partisan. But, you know, just allowing some, you know, developers to build green roofs or to have green roofs reduces the urban heat island, reduces heating costs. So all around the cities of America, I think there's an incredible laboratory of things happening. Hmm. Uh, And it's almost as if at the local level, there's a kind of interesting set of innovations and policies, but it's just not getting traction at the national level, the national debate. And yet... um it's, it, you're right. It's so much more efficient to pass legislation at a local level. Plus, it seems like there's just more buy-in because it's more in your city, your town, your people are in the room. Uh, maybe, maybe that's one of the ideas that that could be very valuable. Is you know, create, start noticing because whatever Chicago's doing, it seems like Philadelphia could try and, sure, and, and start sharing these. Are, are, are learning from each other around the world as well. You know, not, yeah, and around not, the world, right? Yeah, not you know, one size doesn't fit all clearly, and what happens in Zurich may not happen in Chicago or New York. But there are kind of interesting things uh, being developed. Uh, I think of you know one of the. Big success stories uh, in the world is Curitaba in in uh, Brazil, which introduced you know uh, improved uh, public transport, which had a dramatic impact. Mm. Uh, um, so there's all kinds of things you can do at the local level, and the, the advantage of that is you're absolutely right. People have a buy-in; they can see the impact. There's a dramatic impact on you know quality of life for people if you start introducing you know, a sort of uh, uh, reducing, you know, through traffic in streets. People, parents notice that right away. If people start, you know, um, if you inc- introduce things like um, climate uh, mitigation, like green roofs or encouraging solar, people see those impacts, whereas at the federal level, it tends to be a sort of rhetorical debate. And often, I to, to be honest, the debate seemed to be stuck like 30, 40 years ago. I think mm-hmm. that's why young people are turned off by the traditional political parties at the moment. Well, yeah. They seem to be connecting with people's everyday lives. I mean, they're I they're not practical, it doesn't seem like, right? Yeah, they're not practical and they're not connecting. You know, your interest is as a parent, as someone looking mm-hmm. for a job or traffic, debt. Right. Traffic. Those are, those are issues of, you know, your everyday concern. But, you know, the... The political rhetoric doesn't really kind of connect with that. Often it's more at the, the local level, um, making small-scale changes. So in the article that you mentioned, I said, for example, we could do a tremendous amount with energy efficiency by getting better traffic light sequencing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds sort of banal. And, um, no, but if it uh, saves $200,000 sure, yeah. for a city, then yeah, that's you, you, money. Yeah. You can do the multiplication. You know, you save, you know, a gallon of gas every year for each person. You multiply that up, and all of a sudden, you lease you need five less super tankers from Saudi Arabia. Right. You gain money from, you know, not 
sending it out to the Saudi sheikhs, reinvesting it in America. So small-scale changes have really quite dramatic impacts on the economy. So my argument is really we should be focusing in on what we can do to improve the economy, provide better and more jobs by looking at our own sort of metropolitan areas, how we can make them more economically efficient. Mm, I love it. Uh, it's an, uh, to me, it's a, it's a great argument. And I also think it would be smart for a candidate to see that and leverage the fact that we're going to take it back to the people on the local level where it really matters. Uh, Dr. John Short, we're going to take a break. We'll come right back again. We'll continue this discussion about uh, taking the economy Growing it, but basically doing it by focusing on the city, focusing on the efficiencies at the local level. Um, Powerful, powerful uh, insight here from Dr. John Short, who's a professor of public policy at the University of Maryland in Baltimore County. Take a break, folks. We'll be right back. Stick with us. To the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. John Short is on the phone with us. He is a professor of public policy at the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And uh, he's the author of an article, Want the Economy to Grow? It's Time to Look at Cities and Efficiency, which actually might be great news if you're if you're already like overwhelmed and exhausted and un- actually probably underwhelmed maybe by uh, the whole presidential you know election process. You might be... Um, you might be thinking, is there any hope? Well, there might be hope. And the hope really, according to our uh, expert here, uh, Dr. John Short, the hope might be more on the local level and creating more efficiency, more productivity at a local level. Dr. John Short, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, thank you, Matt. It's great to be with you. Great to have you here. One of the things that uh, you talk about in your article as well is one of the benefits of these these uh, urban areas um, there's a higher concentration of people, so the efficiencies can be, I, I guess, even optimized more there. Uh, so are you really – are you proposing that we, we go about creating more bigger cities? Uh, yeah, well, uh, increasing the, the, the densities and size of existing cities is a, is a pretty good uh, economic policy, to be honest. I mean, all the studies tell us that you get um, – sort of productivity gains with uh, larger, denser cities. Uh, Good reason for that, you know, a bigger city, there's, so you're made unemployed. In a bigger city with, you know, there's more opportunity to get another job. Hmm. You're in a big city, you and your co-workers may, you know, decide upon, wow, you've got a great idea to start up your own business. That occurs more easily um, in uh, bigger, denser cities with uh, networks of communication. So we know that. And, um, so one of the things is uh, one of, for example, if you look at China, China's uh, economy has grown tremendously, but it's probably not reached its full potential because China restricts the size of its cities um, through, you know, controlling immigration uh, migration to the city. Mm. Probably about 10% premium they pay for controlling their population. And the U.S. is not quite like that, but there's been a strong anti-urban bias in the United States right from the beginning. You know, yeah. 
Thomas Jefferson wanted yeoman farmers and was really distrustful of cities. He thought they were too big, too foreign, too radical. And we still have that sense um, of a sort of anti-urban bias. But and that, but to be honest, I think people are voting with their feet. I mean, the big growth for if you're a millennial looking for a job, you're not going to, you know, small town Nebraska. You're going to right. Chicago or, you know. San Francisco or New York to get a job. So yeah, that proves know it, doesn't where it? The, the jobs and uh, opportunities are, and we've, we're witnessing a sort of urban resurgence in selected cities in America. You know, New York, uh, Washington, um, Chicago, they've all started to have an uptick in their populations uh, as people. So, so these things are happening almost despite the the, the political debate mm. or the political rhetoric. And, and you, I mean, th- you're really just talking about the benefits of the city. It seems like a lot of the bigger cities might also have bigger bureaucracies, bigger problems in uh, in the management of the government. Yeah, it could be, though. Uh, one of the things we find is uh, in the United States, there's actually a cost to what they call, the, the political scientists call metro, metropolitan fragmentation. If you have lots of small local governments, actually you pay a cost for that. Hmm. Duplication of services, often a lack of transparencies. Um, it's a big metropolitan government, if done well, works really well. It's like everything else. If it, it's not done well, it can go very badly. Right. Small-sized local governments are no real kind of on their own a solution to problem. Because yeah. if you have a multiplicity of them, everyone has a mayor, everyone has a director of this, a director of that, plus an office and whatever. So actually one of the things in the United States, most a lot of the big metropolitan areas have almost too many if not too many local governments, and I'm all for local democracies, but almost too many local bureaucracies. Mm. And yeah, and then all of a sudden you've you've got you've got five different police departments in you know a ten mile sure, radius yeah. or twenty and mile you can radius. See that with uh, and then very different you know modes of behavior. Mm-hmm. Or let me go back to the Washington Metro you know debacle. One of the reasons for that uh, you know it's been under maintained and underfunded because. You know, the, the governance of it is shared between Virginia, Maryland, D.C., hmm. federal government, and um, just leading to sort of fragmented management and underfunding. <clears throat> so I think uh, there's a certain benefit of, of, of uh, size, I think, at least in terms of metro areas. Having the whole metro area under similar forms of at least bureaucracy, although, you know, obviously local politicians to, to represent local areas. Does, do you sense um, at a federal level, I mean, a lot of this makes sense to, to bring things back to kind of the local mm-hmm. level. And I mean, I, I know there's the whole state's argument and then even the city's argument. But it also seems like it, it, is, it is a good argument, too, to, to minimize uh, the federal government and, and turn more back to a state, maybe local level or efficient level. Sure, yeah, making things more – whatever works for efficiency. So I think uh, or, yeah. one size doesn't fit all, and so finding metropolitan governments um, uh, can, can actually be a, a, a more of a sweet spot than state governments. Often state governments are dominated by rural interests. 
um, because the way that they're basically gerrymandered, so that rural areas in most states get are over-representative in state legislatures, mm. and cities are underrepresented. I'd like to see more metropolitan forms of government, but a bit more um, control over their, their resources. So I would go even further down from the state and more towards allowing metropolitan governments a bit more freeway. So the feds can come in and set certain standards so that there's obviously a sort of, you know, there's a certain floor that they can't go below, for example. Right. Um, uh, or in certain standards um, for, for governance and for behavior and so forth. But allowing metropolitan governments uh, a lot more leeway. And to be honest, I think if you look across America, I mean, all kinds of the interesting political public policy issues and changes and innovations are really occurring at the city level. Hmm. You know, sort of the greening of the city, the, uh, the you know, more bike lanes, more, you know, fresh food, all, you know, initiatives, all kinds of things are really uh, sort of urban America is a sort of hotbed for, for new kind of innovations. So they're nonpartisan. They're just like, how can we make things better, more hmm. efficient and fairer? How can we make our cities green? you know, livable, fair, and economically efficient. And people are coming up with all, all kinds of solutions and policies. You know, not all yeah. of them work, and not all of them work everywhere. It's a like trial and error, but it's a much more interesting time. So I just see this dichotomy between metropolitan urban America trying all kinds of things, sometimes exceeding, sometimes failing, and a sort of federal rhetoric. Right. It's just... I agree. It turns everyone off. It's like, really? Is this, it's like Groundhog Day. It's all over Every day, it's like, oh, let's cut taxes. Oh, let's tax the wealthy. Oh, right. Is that, is that it? Well, you, and then nothing goes through. Nothing passes. Sure. And then everyone gets upset because you vote people for change, and then there's no change. Right. Change is so incremental. I mean, you know, presidents are elected. Uh, with I mean, there's almost there's almost as all the reality of a kabuki theater, right? <laughs> I mean, president, presidential candidates say we're going to do this, going to do that, and the first thing you think, yeah, try that with a divided Congress. Right. Good luck with that. Court. Good luck with that. It's, it's, and it, and it's, oh, everybody knows it. I think you're right. That's where the cynicism's coming from. Is they might even see their local government at least passing stuff, testing stuff, you know, in a, you know, connected to them in a real way. And then they look to D.C. and they think, what is going on back there? Sure, yeah. At least at the local level, you, you can't blame the opposition. That's right. You can't blame the Supreme Court or you right. can't blame the president or the Congress or something. You know, your elected representative, if they don't get the, you know, the metro to work on time yeah. or, you know, solve traffic issues or do something about schools, you're going to say, well, you know, throw the bombs out. That's right. It didn't else. work. So it didn't what work. Yeah. what would you attribute? Because uh, there was also like a flight from the cities. Detroit, for example, sure. they couldn't. People couldn't get away from these cities fast enough. Sure. I mean, what you you saw. I mean, the the, the thumbnail sketch of urban America would be. You know, incredible concentration from, you know, 1880 to 1950. You look at the population figures, people are streaming into the cities. That's where the jobs are. That's where the economic opportunities are. And then from about 1950 to 1980, you have the great suburbanization, you know, fueled by all kinds of things, you know, uh, cheap housing, cheap land, mortgage availability, the interstate highway system, problems in cities, people escaping to uh, escaping them. And then 
So since about 1980, 1990, you've actually had a switch back. Mm. Um, now, and not in all cases. I mean, you know, you point the case of Detroit, and Detroit is always the counterexample of urban resurgence. Right. This is a city that's almost totally reliant on one industry. Right, one exactly, that collapsed. Else, you know? yeah. It just collapsed and nothing. Else. But if you looked at manufacturing job loss, the greatest manufacturing job loss that occurred in any American city occurred in New York City. Hmm. But we don't think that we... Yeah, we don't see that, do we? We don't see that. You know, Brooklyn shipyards employed somewhere you know, 35,000 people. Um, but, you know, it was an urban economy was growing so they could, you know, create other jobs. Detroit didn't have the, the growth machine. It simply just lost jobs. So Detroit is, you know, the sort of incredibly sad, a sort of city returning to prairie in a sense. Yeah, yeah. So that's the exception. But the, uh, many other places from about 1980, because we, we, we can plot it with census data. I did a paper recently that looked at that. Uh, what you can see is just the start of an uptick, so small at first and then gradually gaining pace in places like, you know, Washington, D.C. or New York, which had been losing population. And then people started to move back, especially millennials. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. One is, you know, the demography changes dramatically. 1950, it's mom, dad and the two kids. And now, 30, roughly 30% of American households are either single-person households or have no children at all. Oh, wow, well, yeah. So why would you move to the suburbs, you know? Right. With, uh, um, you know, there's, you don't have enough, <laughs> you don't have any kids, schooling's not important. What you value is accessibility, the kind of urban buzz, <laughs> you know, and, and people write papers, well... You, the dating pool is bigger in big cities. <laughs> That's right. If you're a millennial. Right? Yeah, so if you're a single, you ought to head to the cities too, huh? Sure, yeah, they cluster together. Right? Well, I, I so, think, and I think that you're right. So the, these cities that, like New York that have turned around, you can probably attribute a lot of it to some pretty – Good leadership, you know, and and efficiency. I, I mean, I think that's the other thing that's so frustrating to people, as you know, as we wrap this up, is it's so inefficient. Our federal government's so inefficient, and yet you can see certain cities that are they they're just tightening the belt. They know how to mm-hmm. get the most out of a dime. Um, as we wrap up, talk to us, John. What would you say is something? You know, maybe the one thing that the average citizen can do um, to to push a little bit more on their own communities and their own community efficiencies? Uh, One would be just look at uh, transport and energy use in your city. Uh, So if, you know, if you're, you know, many people listening to your show maybe live in car-dependent communities, you know, where there's no public transport. But how efficient is the the network for Mm. you? Is is there often... traffic blocks that everyone knows about or, you know, that could be, you know, a, a small change of signage, a small change of traffic light sequencing, small things like that. You don't have to go to the barricades and demand, you know, it's not like Martin Luther, you know, putting the theses on the door, but right. small scale things, or even look at energy uses. I mean, just a simple thing that always drives me crazy, for example, is, you know, public transport buses that just idle, yeah. you know, and yeah. just pollute and use fuel and just sit there and do not, I mean, that's, and I know there's a, a, I'm always knocking on doors and 
telling people, you know, there's a, there's a you shouldn't be doing this, you know, it's against small things like that, I yeah. think, or getting things on, 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 on the books. And as I say, they, it sounds kind of banal and it's not like taking to the streets and overthrowing capitalism or whatever, but these small scale changes have quite dramatic yeah. impacts and yeah. actually more dramatic than the sheer rhetoric of, you know, our current politics. No, exactly, exactly. Well, Dr. John Short, we appreciate you. Thank you for your article and, and just spending this time with us. It's been a pleasure, Matt. It's very informative. And uh, I think for all of us, we need to get uh, out there. We've got to get out there and push. You know, you can complain all you want about what's going on with politics, but you can also participate, get involved, move it down to the local level, and start making changes locally. Uh, re-energize the local political world and uh, take your energy there. Don't just give up. We'll take a break, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as we've been talking about... uh, uh, moving into the cities and, and maybe, you know, getting back to the city life, you might come across some noisy neighbors. If you've ever lived in an apartment or checked into a hotel, you've probably experienced some noise that you didn't like, like, you know, loud stomping upstairs, music blasting through the walls, or even a baby crying nonstop. Whether the perpetrator is oblivious to the noise they're making or just doesn't care, there's one thing that we know for sure. You can't block out all the noise. That's just life. But what do we do when other people's noises start affecting our quality of life and maybe we start losing sleep or we can't concentrate on our work? And worse yet, what if the noises can't be contained and they don't come from something that can be reasoned with? Madeline Dresden, our Life Lesson segment producer, discusses what it's like to have to deal with nice neighbors who have, as she, have, as she calls them, velociraptor children. It was 2 a.m., I was up late working on a project in my basement apartment when a terrifying sound burst through the air vents. I kid you not, it sounded exactly like a velociraptor. Ah! The child upstairs was awake. As always, my tiny nemesis had impeccable timing. Whether I'm trying to write, entertain, or sleep, she's always there, waiting for the opportune moment to unleash the terror of her vocals. She runs like clockwork. Every morning, she reaches for the hand drum she got for Christmas and bangs on it. When she gets bored, she reaches for a toy xylophone, which she also got for Christmas. Sometimes, I'm not sure who her parents hate more, me or themselves. It's a question that's literally keeping me up at night. I like sleep. Some doctors even go so far as to say that I need it. But when tiny humans keep you up at night and wake you up too early, what do you do? I can't even get mad about it, because it's not like the kid's blasting her stereo at unseemly hours. I can't just march upstairs in my Batman onesie and demand that she be quiet so that I can sleep. That would make me look like the juvenile one, and I should certainly behave better than the enemy, considering she's just a kid. Ha ha! In a last-ditch effort to save my sanity... I decided to poll the audience for some advice. Through social media, I posed the question, So, neighbors with drums, daycare, and possibly velociraptor children, any suggestions on how I should proceed? I don't know what I was expecting, but what I got was a bunch of pictures of Chris Pratt striking his Jurassic World pose. You know the one. 
arms outstretched, legs wide apart, coaxing the lady raptors to stay back and not eat him. Except in this case, the pics were of him in a room full of children. Hooray! I guess I walked right into that reference. Now, I certainly wouldn't object to Chris Pratt coming to help me, but I've got to think that he's a little busy saving the world from real velociraptors, and not just children who sound like them. Ha ha. And I can only read so many articles advising me to call the authorities and document each noisy incident before I realize that methods for dealing with grown-ups don't translate when I have problems with their children. I can't pretend that I have a sleeping baby and ask the little girl upstairs to please be more considerate. Nor can I hijack the source of the commotion with my tech-savvy skills. I'm pretty sure that hijacking children isn't possible, nor is it legal. So I guess I'm left with only one real option, and that is to just live with the noise, the way my little friend's parents have to. You know, if you think about it, they are Chris Pratt, entering the velociraptor den at great personal risk to their eardrums. Of course, they signed up for that job where I didn't. So I'll just say this. If there are people living within earshot of your house and your children have the admittedly enviable ability to sound like velociraptors, <coughs> please embrace the Chris Pratt within you. Be the Chris Pratt that you want to see in the world. Your neighbors will not only thank you, I guarantee that they'll want to be you someday. Also, it wouldn't hurt to buy your kids some quiet toys instead of drums. Your neighbors will thank you for that, too. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Today uh, is the day called Goof Off Day. It's Goof Off Day, Ben. The day you celebrate every other day of the year. This is where I honor myself. Yeah. Goof off day. Uh, tragedy again in Brussels, Belgium. That is uh, not again there, but just to talk about it again. Another uh, terrorist attack in um, in Europe, in the headquarters of Europe. Thirty plus people dead. Thirty four, I think they're reporting now, and uh, multiple uh, attacks at uh, airport and at uh, the at a bus station, subway station, subway station. Tragedy, and what do you say? I mean, no, no one, to say. no one's claimed responsibility. They think it has something to do with the uh, the individual that was involved in the Paris attacks. That was arrested on Monday, I believe. That he had something to do with it. That he was supposedly planning more attacks. They think uh, something was planned for Germany mm. in the next few weeks. So Europe is now on high alert. As is the United States, everybody should be, because this could just as easily happen here. Some of the pe- some of the people you know that talk about this stuff, does, they don't think that the uh, a terror cell could move quite that fast. Where someone's arrested on Monday, and so they put a plan into effect, and mm-hmm. then they attack Tuesday morning. But 
Who one knows? Of, one of the things I, I was hearing on CNN is the idea that uh, these these aren't like these are fairly easy attacks. A bomb is created. Walk into a public area, and yeah. one guy could walk in, drop a drop a suitcase, walk a hundred feet away, drop another suitcase, detonate both of them, and then suicide bomb himself. And so they're thinking these could be, you know. Pretty efficiently delivered, and it would only take a little planning ahead of time. But if they were already planning stuff, then mm-hmm. maybe it was just who knows. It is again tragedy, though. Uh, uh, so safety, security, these are major issues. Europe's got major issues anyway. Just simply trying to keep uh, all of the all of the refugees from Syria balanced and and healthy and employed and strong, along with. Other issues now. This is going to create probably even more tension uh, in Europe. Apparently, Just, Brussels has a tension of their own, where half of the uh, half the the governing council, city council, whatever you're going to call the the, the governing, just Belgium. Half the half the uh, the country speaks French. Half wow. the country speaks, I believe, German. Yeah, and that causes some cultural rifts when it comes to them functioning as a government. Right. And so they don't – there's complaints where there's no real government and it's just this kind of unwieldy bureaucracy that doesn't function well and they're trying to get on top of a terrorist attack. Mm. And then when you see the footage, I mean, you know, this is footage at an airport around carousels basically and you can see people and luggage just s- scattered all over the place. Um, and just you, – you remember the 9-11 fear, the, the terror that comes over. That is – what terrorists are after is that the feeling of terror. And again, the the, the EU is fairly strong but fragile at the same time. And yep. this is just these terrorists can now start playing on the seams in between these countries and create some havoc. And um, it doesn't seem like it's something that's going to go away very quickly. They're now also closing in on other locations. They think they have some leads on where some of these uh, terrorists may be. But – Again, it's a slow, slow story that uh, – I mean think about it. Just a week ago or less, they finally captured that other Paris attacker. So it took this long to to kind of close that out and And he opened a whole new chapter. Apparently hiding in relative plain sight. Yeah, he was right there and then they ordered a pizza. And then they ordered a pizza and then that tipped him off apparently. See, the pizza will always get you, folks. Uh, It's just not good, not good. Uh, Well, our prayers go out to them um, and – have, have there been many comments from the local leaders? From Has President Obama made a statement? Do Not that I've there? seen as of yet. Yeah. I believe they're waiting for his planned – he has a planned press conference yeah. in Cuba. So I think they're waiting for that point. He has been informed. All the you know Justice Department people are in contact with their counterparts overseas, mm. trying to coordinate whatever they can do. So, is um, How's the Cuba trip going? Well, let's see. Um, it's are they, awkward. Are they up all night dancing? Um, I saw President Obama re- reviewing troops. Oh, really? His yeah. troops are Cuba. Oh. Cuba's troops. Okay. Has has much been said about Guantanamo Bay? No. I mean, it seems like that's kind of a sticky issue. It is, but no. Okay. And they held a press conference. We laughed about this last hour. They tried to. What did I guess? Did Raul Castro grab Obama's hand and raise it up? And yeah. Then Obama well, pulled uh, it away. Obama or? was going for a handshake. Okay. And, oh, it was and, one of those. And, and Juan, what was his name? Is it Ra- Raul was Raul. going for the kind of victory arm lift. Gotcha. And kind of the solidarity, I guess. I don't know what. Yeah. But it just turned into a weird dance. 
Yeah. It, it's like when you go for the handshake, somebody goes for the fist bump, yeah. and you just sort of touch weird and yeah. move away. It was kind of that sort of thing. Like that didn't happen. Yeah. That'll la, be fun. La, la. Expect uh, to see that in memes and all kinds still, of stuff. But, uh, but Fidel, no, nowhere to be seen yet. No. Fidel is not part of the procedure as President, they're going through there. President Obama says he, he he's totally willing to meet with Fidel. If Fidel's health is there, if he's if he's willing and able to meet, he'd like to meet with him. That's what he said? Yeah. Oh. But I don't think it's, I think he probably said that because it's not going to happen. Okay. You know. Kinda, yeah. Yeah, kind of like when I say, hey, no, I'd love to do that with you guys. Yeah. And then I know I'm not doing it. Then you immediately get in your car and leave. Yeah. 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 And we're I'd like, love but, to. And then you go, oh, something came up. Oh, yeah. Oh, you meant today. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> not doing that today. So um, that's uh, that's going on. Today is, by the way, Goof Off Day. Mm. It's a chance to step back from the rigors and pressures of everyday life and goof off, which doesn't seem like a real day for us. It seems like every day. Yeah, there's a certain amount of it. In fact, we're having our meeting today, our team meeting, which, which I'm devolves. always yeah, I'm always excited to see what we're actually going to do in the meeting. There's five minutes of actual this is why we had the meeting content. Yes. And then there's 25 minutes of just general hootenanny. Yeah. And then today we actually have to go in, we have to go record uh, a segment for the show, so we're going to have to cut the meeting like short like I actually want it to. I lose control after 5 minutes. Yeah. I, I try really you, hard, try to get it back on. And did you, did you, do you do you have control when no, you start? No, I, I have this thought that I might approach the concept of control, but no, there's no Terry control. is more of a figurehead in those meetings. Yeah. What am I? A disruptor, an <laughs> yeah. agitator. That's rude. Yeah. I almost don't think I should be there. No, then, you need to be there. I know, but then I feel like it gets it, sometimes it gets turned sideways just because I say one thing. Well, See, if you don't engage the students, yeah, I felt like I didn't need to be there, but then I was bully, bullied into coming mm. every week. You shamed, yeah. well, bullied, or were you actually just told that's part of your job description? No, I was bullied. Okay, yeah, hmm. called rude names as I left. Really? Yeah. Who did Who did that? What names did they call you? Slacker. Yeah. Slacker. Yeah, that was basically it. Yeah. I mean, you sum it all up with one word right there. Well, you know what? This might this might actually help you. Um, in a minute, we'll be speaking with Dr. Jonathan Schultz, and he's talking about how confident are you in your career choice. Mm. And Ben, you might seriously want to listen to this because maybe you shouldn't be very confident. You might have made a horrible decision. Yeah. He really? Could, yeah. This guest could help you figure that out. You, you, you may not have chosen the right field in that i'm too confident in this field yeah oh or are you confident what if you're not yeah so should i just like submit to everybody else yes it usually works better that way if you're not confident just do what everyone tells you to do fighting back yeah 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 (laughs) i would prefer if just as while you're at work if you would just submit to your leaders Just submit. Quit fighting. Yeah. It's exhausting. Kind of annoying. It's easier if you would just like take your tase like a man. Tase it. No, nobody was harmed in that commercial. Yet. Yet. Because as we've been talking about, Ben could make another career choice. Mm -hmm. Commercial actor. And he's the first man to be tased on TV. Mm-hmm. In one of your commercials. 
Oh, he's going to do a great Again, job. not for your product, but for a product that's using your name. When we were shooting, exactly. Uh, when we were shooting the Taser commercial, um, Ben wanted to keep having makeup put on. Mm. And I'm like, Ben, no one's even going to see your face. We're, we're shooting you from the back. And he's like, I still want makeup on. Okay. And I'm, and I'm like, why? And he just says, it makes me feel younger. Mm. I can see that. And then the next thing we know... Taste it. Now you could smell smoke. Mm. But he looked a lot younger. Right, did, absolutely. Did you guys at least get that on film? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I just wanted to make sure that you didn't just tase me. And by the way, when you were unconscious, we tased you a few more times. That is hilarious. Because every time we do it, like your body moves different ways. We actually had your legs dancing. It was fantastic. I couldn't walk for like three days. I know. We told you it was only once, but it was more than once. But it was less than a baker's dozen. <laughs> hey, uh, Terry, anything going on around the world we need to pay attention to? There is. Thanks, Matt. At least 30 people were killed and 100 injured following an explosion today at the at targeted metro station near the European Union buildings in central Brussels. Brian Carroll, 31, of Washington, visiting Belgium for a conference. His train pulling into the subway station when the explosion hit. Carroll spoke with the New York Times about what he saw. He said, I, uh, as we were pulling into the station, there was suddenly a loud explosion. There was smoke everywhere. Everyone dropped to the ground. People were screaming and crying. I was on the ground. We realized immediately we were being attacked by terrorists. He goes on, for all I knew, there was a gunman going from car to car shooting people. Carroll called the event the most frightening experience of his life. It was, I hope Belgium gets its act together. This has been going on for a while, and the whole world is looking at Belgium, he said. A second attack at the airport in Brussels on Tuesday morning is believed to have killed an additional 11 people. A new CBS News and New York Times uh, poll has Donald Trump as a choice of 46% of Republican primary voters, his highest number yet in the poll, and three in four of them expect him to be the nominee. But he also has the highest unfavorable number among all voters, 57% of any presidential candidate going back to at least 1984. Wow. Who was that? Well, who ran in near 84? That was uh, Reagan's second term, right? Yeah. Who did he run against? You were alive. I was... Uh, Mondale? Four. Was it Mondale? <laughs> was it Mondale? I think it was Walter Mondale. Did he have a highly unfavorable... Apparently. Apparently. He Apparently he did. Half <laughs> of all voters said they would be scared if Trump were elected and another 19% would be concerned. Hmm. They need some therapy. The Justice Department requested on Monday that a court hearing pertaining to Apple's role in unlocking the San Bernardino shooter's iPhone be delayed, citing new leads in the case. The DOJ wants to push back the hearing set for Tuesday. They said in their, uh, their statement on Sunday, March 20th, an outside party demonstrated to the FBI a possible method for unlocking Farouk's iPhone. Prosecutors said in the filing on Monday, testing this is uh, testing is required to determine whether it's a viable method that will not compromise data on the iPhone. If the method is viable, it should eliminate the need for the assistance from Apple. What was all the fuss about? They just needed to call the NSA. That's my theory. Totally. Uh, nearly six in ten Americans are ready for normalized diplomatic and trade relations in Cuba per a new CBS New York Times poll released Monday, while only 25 percent oppose the thaw in relations. This news comes as President Obama is visiting Cuba, as we talked about. So six in ten Americans want us back with Cuba. Really? That's what it said. How many Cubans? Cuban-Americans. They didn't break it out that way. They just said six and ten Americans. Yeah, if you focused on certain neighborhoods in Miami, that probably wouldn't be I so mean, high. I mean, what do the people in Utah have an opinion about anyway? But if you're a 
if you're a Cuban American, right, you, you have a history. You have a history. You have a memory of what happened. Hmm. Hmm. If you've fantasized about punching Donald Trump in the face, you're far from alone. A new survey by WalletHub and SurveyMonkey released Monday reveals that a whopping 54% of Americans have had the very same thought of just wanting to give the GOP frontrunner a pop in the kisser. Really? Trump is far and away the winner in this contest, too, while Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton and President Obama also make the list with 14% for Hillary Clinton and 13% for President Obama. Wow. They're still far behind Trump's huge lead in the <laughs> I would like to punch someone in the face polling. Well, it's probably because he says stuff like that. Yeah. Punch him in the face. Right. So they want to punch him in the face. Well, that's just rude. So 54% of America wants to punch him in the face. Hey, let's not punch anybody. Just go punch yourself. That's what I say to Ben when he gets out of hand. Hey, pal. But then you tell all the producers to punch me in the face. Yeah. Well, we're trying to... Help them release aggression. Thanks for being such a willing participant. I live to serve, Matt. You're here to help. Thank you. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Jonathan Schultz will be joining us. He is a, a, a fellow, a research fellow in experimental economics at Yale, and he has been studying the overconfidence of our career choice. The power of your confidence and your career. Stick with us, folks. Interesting insight. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as a child, you may have known exactly what you wanted to be when you grew up. Options range from a firefighter to a doctor to a professional baseball player or an artist. Then you hit college and real life settles in. You eventually choose a career. But how confident were you in your career choice? With statistics indicating that only 27% of college graduates get a job related to their major, It's easy to be uncertain, and uh, our guest today, Dr. Jonathan Schultz, who recently conducted a study looking at overconfidence in career choice, he joins us now to talk to us about the impact our uh, confidence can actually have on our future earnings and our future career. Dr. Jonathan Schultz, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. You bet. Great to have you on the show. Talk to us. So how did you get into studying confidence in relation to careers? Well, actually, I remember a very specific event when I was uh, doing my PhD in the very first week. I overheard a conversation of two first-year undergraduates, and they were talking about their starting salaries. Hmm. And now they were talking about really, really high salaries, and I was just baffled by hearing that. And I was thinking, man, they really must be confident in, um, in themselves and in their choice particular because it was first-year undergraduates, so they had no information how good they will be doing. And, um, of course, they also had no information um, whether they will like um, the subject they're studying. Interesting. And, and I guess in your study, what did you find out about this confidence level? It, does it make a big difference? Does it impact? Yeah, we found a huge difference between the field of studies. So we found that um, people studying um, disciplines which are related to business schools like economics 
uh, business administration, law, or political science, that they score way higher on confidence than other academic disciplines, um, for example, natural science or um, hmm. chem- and I mean, on the least confident were actually humanities. Uh, they were scoring quite low. Now, what? Why? What is that from, Dr. Schultz? What What do you attribute? Does the confidence create the choice, or does the choice, you know, generate the confidence? I I think that it's really the confidence which creates the choice. Interesting. The confidence. What we measured is confidence in own abilities, and uh, abilities we measured this was uh, simple trivia quizzes. So we asked them. Um, for example, do you remember the year that Elvis Presley was born? Or do you know the year the first flight of the Concorde Accord? No. And, <laughs> and these are really simple questions, and all the students did equally well, and, uh, but they ranked themselves quite differently when it comes to ability. And since we did the study with first-year uh, students, um, And they were not exposed very much to their major. It seems that it was really selection going on. So people who are quite confident in their ability, they uh, choose to go for the uh, field of studies uh, which are related to business. I mean, these are also the fields of study which will pay later way higher amounts than other fields of studies like humanities. Hmm. And, And I guess, too, there's also higher risk in business than there might be maybe in the sciences. I mean, it seems like a science uh, employment in the sciences might be a safer bet than an entrepreneur in a business. Well, it kind of depends, I guess. I mean, if you if you start if you want to become an entrepreneur, yes, it's more risky, and you need this confidence also to succeed as an entrepreneur. Hmm. There's right. lots of risks, so you need to be really confident in what you're doing. And of course, if you want to sell products and you want to start your own business in a market, you need to be confident in order to convince other people uh, that what you're doing is really good. That's interesting. If you're working in a bank, I think your employment should be uh, quite uh, certain. Certain is quite secure, right? And do you – so, wow, this is some pretty interesting research because now uh, all of a sudden it might make more sense why some people in the humanities are in the humanities – um, it, it just might. I mean, maybe. It, what do you What do you think needs to come out of this? Do we Do we need to be teaching confidence to kids in every area now to elevate them to certain levels of confidence? What What do you What do you suggest or see that uh, that's going to come out of the research? I think that's exactly. I mean, that's a very good point. I think it's very important to teach kids confidence already in high school, so that they feel confident to really make a choice based more on their ability and interest than in their confidence. Hmm. Because, I mean, in the end, we want to have people who are enjoying what they're doing on the one hand, and also the people who are really able to do the things um, they, they want to do later in life. And I mean, one thing which I did not mention yet is, that, and there's a large literature showing that there's huge different gender differences between uh, confidence. Hmm. So males score way higher on confidence than females, and of course, this can explain why males select themselves into competitive environments and also get promoted more often and um, are more likely to be CEOs of companies. That's true, too, and um, I wonder, too, if that's 
the uh, I, I, did you check out? Is there in your sample size was there a disparity in were more females in the humanities and more males in the business areas? Exactly. I mean, that's what we find. Yeah. We look at the entries uh, in, in colleges um, in Europe, but I'm certain that it's very similar here in, in the U.S., that more females select themselves into humanities while uh, the business careers, but also often natural science, are more the fields that uh, hmm. males select themselves. In. Right. In fact, yeah, in fact, I just read another article about how it's a little harder to recruit uh, women into like the medical fields or the science fields. Uh, historically, hmm. exactly. I think confidence has, yeah, is, is a very um, strong predictor of uh, factor explaining these differences. It's a really interesting concept, right? Because now their confidence is impacting their selection, and their selection will inevitably impact their income. Exactly. Yeah. And and then they can they're they're elevated, I guess, or held or held back by it. What are there some cons to the overconfidence? Did you find any cons that uh, for people that were overconfident? Well, in, in the economics literature, there's many phenomena which are re- um, explained by overconfidence, and they're actually phenomena which are um, can be quite bad for society. I mean, one is, for example, value-destroying mergers. If you're a CEO and you think, well, I'm, I'm the best uh, CEO ever, um, I should take over all the other companies and this is only driven by overconfidence. Obviously, value is destroyed. Or another example is excess entry into markets. So, if you're an entrepreneur and you think um, you do it, you're way better than your competitors. You might enter into a market and actually go bankrupt. So, there's this, uh, yeah, there, there are strong phenomena which are. Uh, where confidence on an aggregate level is actually not very good. Hmm. It's, I'll, I'll go ahead. Actually, I'm, I'm quite puzzled with overconfidence because if you think about this, people base their decisions on wrong presumptions. So you can think of um, just crossing the street, and if you think I'm super fast, you might cross the street, but the car was faster, and, and there's, a, there's a chance that you, you get into an accident. Hmm. Also, if you think about our evolutionary past, um, if you're very confident, you might think I can take on despair all by myself, but actually, I mean, there's a high risk of getting killed in this proceed. So I'm quite interested why people are overconfident in the first place. And I think it is a social signaling device. So I can signal that I'm very confident and people will follow me or people won't pick um, uh, a fight with me. I think that's, and that's obviously a trade-off. If you're a politician, it's very important to signal confidence but, of course, if you overdo it, and then it's not credible anymore. People will not follow you or not. Yeah, and then they, yeah, they won't trust you. It's, a, it's an interesting concept, too, just as we're in the middle of this presidential election, that uh, the confidence or the business leaders and the politicians, which are pretty much make up our presidency, are, are those that are running for president. Um, uh, w- one of the ones that, that uh, took a beating here was um, Ben Carson, who was a, a physician, and he seemed to be less confident, obviously wasn't, I mean, secure, confident individual, but people buy into a person's confidence, don't they? They actually, even if it's faux confidence, even if it's faking it. Absolutely. It, it's funny that you mentioned medicine, because in our study, we also find that people in medicine 
are actually not so confident in, in other disciplines. Hmm. Um, yeah, and, that's I mean, strange, isn't it? Because I I always attributed a doctor to kind of the God theory, where they had to at least act. I guess maybe that's what it is. They're acting like they know uh, so, yeah. to be confident, so you believe it, and let's go have that surgery now. Absolutely. I mean, you have to be confident to uh, exactly convince people that you can uh, perform surgeries and so on. Hmm. But that, but it was lower, and then the humanities, which would represent um, what fields? More like I guess uh, teachers, educators, uh, arts. Exactly, like English literature or yeah. Um, and and that's a weird concept too, because that, that's then you always hear on campuses. Well, there's those that do; those are the business people, politicians, and then there's those that don't do, but they teach. And yeah. You hear this weird uh, – so it's, there's a lot of just kind of um, rhetoric that's also surrounds this in our own society. Yeah. I mean, confidence also has an advantage, and this is that you start projects um, because you feel confident. So it might be that you actually start very ambitious projects because of your confidence, which may be way too ambitious, but once you're stuck in this project – you might continue because you're stuck in this project. So it might help you to overcome um, some procrastination. And, of course, um, if you're more confident, uh, if you're in the humanities and you seem not to be so confident, you might not uh, be so ambitious in your later career as well, uh, driven by this confidence. Hmm. Interesting. Let's uh, take a break. Uh, We're speaking with Dr. Jonathan Schultz, who um, has been doing an an extensive study on the origins of overconfidence. He also um, is here today to present uh, some of his findings to us about how your confidence in your career choice impacts the very choice you make. And uh, interesting stuff. Uh, The business majors, the politicians, those in political science, law, economics, they tend to be more confident than maybe the teachers, the therapists, the social scientists, Uh, Interesting, interesting insight. We'll take a break, folks. We'll come right back. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you understand a little bit more about confidence and its impact on your uh, career. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Today uh, on the phone with us is Dr. Jonathan Schultz. He is a research associate of the Social Cognitive Development Lab and Human Cooperation Lab at Yale University. He also is the co-author of the study on the origins of overconfidence. Today he's been talking to us about uh, how your confidence helps you determine which career to choose. Those that uh, are more confident tend to choose a career in the fields of um, political science, law, economics, business administration, while those uh, kind of with a, the lowest levels of confidence tend to um, choose a career more in the humanities. And then somewhere in between, the sciences. Anyway, interesting research. And Dr. Jonathan Schultz, thanks again for being with us. Yeah, thanks. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. 
And you're saying this confidence we're kind of bringing to the game, and this confidence is our, our confidence in our abilities. So those that have a higher confidence in their abilities are more likely to choose the business, the poli-sci kind of world, um, economics. Those that have a little lower level of confidence are more likely to choose a career in the humanities. And then I guess there's a direct correlation to incomes earned. Yeah, there's a very direct correlation. So if you're, um, so we had a Swiss sample, and there the difference between the business school related fields and um, engineering and medicine and the other fields, uh, it's about ten thousand dollars for the starting salary, but later I guess it will um, disperse more. Ten thousand dollars more for the yes. businesses over the sciences. Exactly. And then that that'll get oh, turn into a wider gap over time. Exactly. Wow. I mean, and it's and it's confidence. Um, I guess where in your in your project on the origins of overconfidence. I mean, I guess is that overconfidence? Um, it seems like if it's overconfidence, it would be detrimental to the effect to their success. Right. Um, so it's really. Well, Overconfidence would having be having too much confidence when you shouldn't. Exactly. So the way we set up our experiment was that we did these trivia quizzes and then we ranked people how good they were in answering these trivia quizzes. And in the second stage, we asked people to rank themselves in groups of in a group of twelve how good they would be. Hmm. And what we find is that people from the business school are consistently ranking themselves better than they are. So on average, they rank themselves one rank higher. Hmm. And we call this overconfidence. Interesting. Okay. They get money from us. So if if, yeah. they, if they would be exactly right, they would get the most money. So they have a financial incentive to be correct. Yeah. Did... Somehow reassuring is that engineering and medicine, they're actually quite good on average in predicting how good they are. And actually that's reassuring because engineering and uh, natural science medicine, um, these are people who, who, um, who design nuclear power plants and so on. So it's reassuring that they mm. have a sense of how good they are in relation to And then the humanities, do they underrate how good they are? Exactly. So on average, they underrate themselves by about one rank. So they think that they're actually worse than, than they are. How interesting is that? And yet these people might also be the therapists of the world, the counselors, the, well, yeah, the school teachers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I think it's very important to already start in school um, to uh, boost people's confidence. Um, but on the other hand, there are studies showing that um, confidence is uh, largely uh, genetically inherited about 20 to 30 percent, and only 10 percent comes by the environment. Hmm. A large proportion of genetic inheritance. And then um, I guess, too, we need to boost confidence, but we also need to, it sounds like, with some of the uh, higher echelon, we probably need to improve self-awareness. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a very yeah, fragile balance. On the one hand, of course, if you have people working in, in the business, you want to have confident people uh, to boost your business, to, to sell products to people, and their confidence is certainly a, a trade which helps that. But at the same time, uh, 
you don't want to destroy value in a society by by having let's say a banking industry which is way too confident going into too risky businesses um yeah leading to bankruptcies and um, yeah right because that was it i mean like with the economic collapse everybody was following the leader who was confidently leading or met multiple leaders confidently leading and confidently making money but Nobody should have been that confident. Exactly. So some cautions in, in one's own ability in investing would have been uh, quite helpful there. Well, and maybe too, because um, maybe some of the scientists that were maybe less confident, and I don't, I don't know, uh, I read in the book um, Quiet, mm-hmm. um, they talk about uh, extroversion, introversion, but um, the extrovert might have been the manager pushing more and more financial whatever decisions, but you know a researcher behind the scenes that was introverted may have not been strong enough to go take on the confidence of the manager to give him enough data to say no, this isn't working. I mean that's one of the points she brings up in her book is at some point you need to have you know the quieter, less confidence that might have better data. Stand up and deliver. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And actually, extroversion and confidence, they're uh, quite correlated. So hmm. people who are more extroverted, they're also more confident. Isn't that interesting? And then she, in her book, too, uh, talks about the fact that Harvard Business School, for example, is basically their requirements to get in is much more of an extroverted scale and cycle. So they're much more inclined to just bring extroverts in. So they're not just getting overconfidence. They're getting overconfident and extroverted. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. And, I mean, who would you hire? Someone who is very shy in the, the initial interview or is it someone right. who is very confident about his ability? Because um, there's asymmetric information. You don't know the, the person you're going to hire. So you want to hire the one who signals more confidence in what he's doing. So even so, he might not be so good. It still uh, probably makes sense from the point of view of the firm to hire the one who signals high quality. Yeah, and we kind of have a bias towards that, I guess, right? So we're biased to trust the more confident person even if they're less competent. Exactly, and what makes it um, also very interesting is that imagine a very confident person. He signals confidence, then he gets hired. That's boosting his confidence. Then he might uh, go into a some form of competition in for market shares, and just by his very confident presence, he might deter the other uh, person. And what we actually find in our own research is that deterring someone uh, from competition by signaling confidence, uh, people update this in the exactly same way as actually winning this competition. Hmm. So there's a value in confidence to t- deter other people from picking competitions, and this boosts confidence even more. So it seems like there's some form of an adaptive path boosting confidence. And, and uh, yeah, that's interesting too because there's still a hierarchy of confidence, I guess, on any team. Uh, you, you're still going to have some people that are, have even more confidence than you um, on the same team. Yeah. And then you might back down because they seemingly have so much more confidence. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, in these situations we encounter in, in many instances, it could just be a conference, and should I speak up now? Am I confident enough, uh, or, or do I, am I going to be quiet and mm. let the person speak? 
And of course, all these little things might build up to form a very confident character who has uh, spoken up many times and he got uh, positive feedback, or build someone who's, who's rather shy, not speaking up, and then also not being able to boost confidence. So I think one way to, to boost confidence is really try to uh, speak up in, and also in situations where the, the, um, the feedback will likely be very positive. Yeah, so find yeah, find a kind of a, a safer environment and and speak up a lot there, practice exactly. there. Exactly. Because you really this is this does get into like whistleblower situations and why some people won't you know even step into situations where people need help because confidence might be low. Exactly, yeah. And that's uh, that would be very disastrous. Oh. What a fascinating study and um the, and the, this is all really you're saying much more of a genetic thing handed down. Is it evolutionary? I mean, it seems like we would have been born to even fake confidence. I mean, it seems like even a lot of animals that are outnumbered might still continue to pretend to look confident. Yeah, I think it's a very good question. We we don't know yet. I mean, we we found in this one study found that genetics is a large part of it. And the question then becomes, overconfidence is a form of self-deception. Um, because I can just play to be confident. But what we find in, in our studies is that people are truly overconfident. So even if we give them money, they still uh, don't get the, the correct choice. So they mm-hmm. display overconfidence. And I think the self-deception is a very important part. Because if you truly believe that you're very good your body language, your voice, and everything signals that you're confident in what you're doing. And this is way more so when you truly believe um, deep inside that you're really good in, in something or that you have a high ability in doing something. Yeah. Wow. It's, and I think it's related to the animal world in some sense. If you have um, yeah, costly, yes, theories of costly signaling, so... Or, or mating, so people, uh, animals display these, um, like birds uh, display colorful. Um, um, yeah, like plumage. Yeah, exactly. Just, uh, and I think it's very much related to to overconfidence. Does 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 this confidence change as we age? Does our wisdom temper our confidence? Do we does, do we become wiser, smarter? I really like this question, but I, I don't have an answer. It's really interesting. I should look into that. Yeah, that seems fascinating. Like it seems like you'd become wiser and realize that sometimes it's better to not just be confident. That <laughs> sometimes yeah. it's better to be right. To be real, exactly realistic, and uh, well, it could be also be that yeah. I mean, it makes sense also when you're younger. You might want to have high confidence to try out new things, to take risks you would not take without mm-hmm. being quite confident. And then um, to start a career, to start um, a new business. But once you're older, it might be not so wise to start risky businesses. And uh, Yeah, now you've got to conserve. Exactly. Which is maybe, yeah, maybe why we become conservative versus more yeah. liberal-minded. As we age, interesting stuff. Well, I appreciate the work. It's a it's a fascinating study, um, and if going forward and in, in your future, Jonathan, what uh, what's what do you think is next? Where are you going to take the study now? 
Yeah, I'm really interested in these evolutionary origins and whether there's a genetic base, um, how self-deception and overconfidence relates and how you can, uh, whether this is a social signal deterring other people or um, taking other people along as a leader and mm. probably do more research. Love that. Great stuff. Well, again, thank you very much, Dr. Jonathan Schultz, for your great work. Thank you very much for having me. You bet. Interesting stuff about confidence. Isn't that amazing? Who to thunk it? It's just kind of who you are. Even impacts who you, what jobs you choose, and how much money you're going to make. Um, and who would have thought that it was based on your field? You choose your field on your confidence level. Amazing stuff. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, a little coach's corner for you here. When we um, talk about confidence, as we did with Dr. Jonathan Schultz, um, a lot of it, like he's saying, very little of it, about 10%, he was saying, is going to come from uh, you, you, you know your culture and your maybe your uh, parenting. Some confidence, the majority, he would say, 90%, I think he even said, is genetics. It's Some people are just genetically strong and they're strong and confident and not afraid to take a risk not afraid to uh to take something on and one in fact uh there also are very strong correlations between for example a young man or a young woman and what her father does for a living will uh, is the number one indicator of what that child will probably be able to go do in a, with a living one reason might be now that I've heard this is because that's their confidence level if there's somebody that just knows how to go out and do and make something happen and they're confident to risk and to try, um, man, they might go risk and try at a level that, that others aren't. Have you ever sat back and just wondered, man, how does that guy just keep making money? He's just so good at making money. Well, that's – I'm not great at making money, but I watch a lot of people that are and I think, wow. But I also notice they do stuff that I don't do. Right? They risk. They invest. They just keep at it. They're tenacious. They keep trying. They keep doing different things. They keep learning. So let's let's maybe start looking at ourselves because I'm a big believer that if I could change my own uh, confidence by rethinking things, by gathering a little bit uh, more competency along the way, as Dr. Schultz was talking about, a lot of people have high confidence, but that doesn't mean they're competent. So some things that we might want to also be doing with the people around us and with ourselves, let's make sure that we're not just looking at outcomes like money per se, but we're also looking about at a person's worth, that we still validate the worth of every person. That should boost some confidence there. We could also encourage people by understanding what they're about, by actually listening more to the people around us. That could be a great way to encourage your own employees, your own clients to step up their game. And, and you could it's incredibly encouraging to have a boss that will listen to you, for example. Shine a light on your strengths. Um, one thing that I found gave me the most confidence is knowing what I'm really good at. And when I know what I'm really good at and I work on what I'm good at and I improve what I do well, amazing things happen to my confidence. I dare just stand up and speak uh, on a minute's notice and I'm not afraid to do that. And another thing that might help I think a lot of us is to make sure we're noticing that the progress is being made. 
pay attention to the stuff that's actually happening that's being that's, that is your progress see your progress don't just look at the goals start noticing your progress and stay present man many of us are so lacking confidence because our heads never in the game right now we're always worried about yesterday or too confused about tomorrow we don't know which way to turn That's going to impact your confidence as well. That's the Coach's Corner. We'll take a break. Come back next hour, our final hour. More tools, more information to help you uh, live longer and love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Third hour. Folks, we've been at this for two other hours. If you didn't pick those up, you got to go see iTunes. Tune in. Go to BYU Radio app. You can download those first hours. Uh, also, um, later today. Later today, you for, you of course. You always forget that part. Right. You always say now, and it's we're still recording, yeah. so we'll get it up there later I assume, today. But some, pe- some of these people are going to have to park. Okay. You know, walk inside. Right. Go through security. Get frisked, TSA style. Ah, security's on alert again, and it should be. Um, you now have heard, I'm sure, about the breaking news in um, Brussels. Another a terrorist attack there, uh, attack at the airport, attack at um, the train center, train station. 34-ish, 35 uh, victims so far dead, or th- hundreds of victims, 35 fatalities. It's a tragic, tragic Story and just as the pictures flood in, you see you see the impact of terror. It's a it's a hard day, and Europe again takes another hit. Paris, uh, and now Belgium, and uh, Belgium apparently has been a uh, kind of a hotbed for this type of activity. Multiple uh, attacks over the last ten years. Incidents have come from uh, individuals who live in Belgium. And are able to uh, kind of organize and, and get out to whatever attacks they're they're planning. Police and authorities are also uh, now having they're um, performing raids on homes, residences around, I guess in the Brussels area, and um, I guess trying to track these people down, find out what's going on. There was a unex- unexploded uh, vest found in the airport, apparently. And that was picked up by the bomb squad, and there were some packages that were around that they, they took out and exploded. And no explanation as to what these things were, but huh. there's speculation as to why there are these uh, raids going on is because there's possibly more people involved. Man alive. So, yeah. Three explosions in Brussels kills at least 34. At least 170 more are wounded. Reports 20 were killed in a subway station, 14 killed in two blasts at Brussels airport. Authorities confirm a suicide attack at the airport, and uh, airport public transport is closed in Brussels. So if you have someone flying through Brussels, uh, they're going to be delayed. They will be delayed. So um, again, uh, President Obama is, I think, just recently just made some comments uh, about the terror attacks that I'm sure Terry will get to. Um, But to to change the subject, um, there's not an easy way to segue out of this. 
Uh, but w- one way to do it is, I guess, to go to a lighter note, which is American politics. All right, what are they all saying about this, by the way? Has anybody come out? Any statements? Yeah, and it's all the what you would imagine. We okay. stand with Belgium. We're yeah against terror, that kind of thing. So, well, and again, I think this is going to get scary because this will support. You know, maybe Donald Trump will start to say, "See, these he things already, are dangerous." He already did. Has he already? <laughs> he goes. This is why we need to uh, shut down the borders. Yeah, something to that effect. Right. He said that, but he he just jumps on Twitter and launches. Well, and his comments out again, that way. And we've talked about this a lot. Europe has a lot harder opportunity or time shutting down a border because and these you, people are running in between the borders, and the borders are open because there's an open euro, European. It's yeah, it's which, the whole which idea. feeds back into the problems the European Union is having. Right. There's going to be a uh, a vote coming up whether England stays in the union or not. Do they want yeah. to separate? Will this push that hand along with Germany's? has a lot of the Syrian uh, refugees, and that's creating other issues. It's really going to put, I think, Europe into turmoil now. And mm. politically, people are going to start making decisions. Is this worth Is this worth it if we can't shut down and, and secure our borders in a safer way? Um, but in the political world here locally, I guess Utah is in the midst of a caucus. It's, some are calling it Western Tuesday. You wanted to call it what? Super Tuesday Super the 4th? Super Tuesday the 4th. Also, we I like to call it cockeyed. Okay. Because uh, I've seen a lot of Utahns that are that, a little cockeyed. Some feel that is a limiting factor, the fact that it is a caucus. Yes. Which means you have to basically budget two hours of your night to go and hang out with a bunch of your neighbors that you probably don't know. And Well, and that's a negative way to look at it. I yeah. see it as, a, oh, okay. as free food. Not necessarily. Cookies. I went to a caucus. There was no food. This will be different. Why? Uh, I think because I hear there will be Trump stakes. We have to go to the right caucus at that point too. Yeah. Oh, you're not going to the Trump one? Well, I'm not going to any of them. My daughter said she about went to a Trump, <laughs> um, what are they called, rally. Really? They were ready to go. Okay. To a Trump rally. And Why I'm didn't like, she go? Well, I'm like, you know people die there. Not necessarily. Okay. That's just what I hear in the news. Yeah. And they, were they going to bring your granddaughter? No, that's that was the point. I'm like, you're not taking my granddaughter near a Trump rally. Mm. And she said, yeah, we're not going now just because no one wants to take the granddaughter. I'm sure they have really cute Trump onesies. Yeah, they call them Trumpsies. Trumpsies? Yeah. So cute. Just strap, dress yeah. your granddaughter up in that and she's <laughs> safe. So because it's, you know, politics, all that's going on, yeah. it's goof off day. Yeah, it's goof off day today. If we play clip seven, hold on, I got to set this up. There was a the Trump had a gathering, a rally, if you will, at one of his casinos. Mm-hmm. He was up there with uh, Ben Carson, okay, and apparently a lounge singer, really, who took a song that I believe we're all familiar with, okay, altered it just a bit for the occasion. It was for the goof off day slash Trump rally day. Well, this was yesterday. Yeah, but it was a perfect combination it for today. It fits with what today is. Excellent. So play clip seven. Just as long as you stand by me. Come on. Mm-hmm. So Donald, Donald, stand by me. Oh, stand by me. Come on, stand. It's good. Mm. Got a good stand beat. By me. It's good. Okay. Do- Donald, stand by me. Now, no. the, 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 the lounge singer 
Yeah. Not sure who he is or how he fits in. Fantastic. He might just work at the the place where the dinner was yeah. being held. But uh, that's the only word he changed. When instead of darling, stand by me, it's <laughs> Donald. Donald, stand by me. Well, that's the art of being a lounge singer. You, be- all, you the, don't want to change a lot of words. The best part of this video is that Trump and Ben Carson had to stand next to this guy throughout the entire three-minute song. (laughs) So he's all, come on, everybody, you know? And so they all start just kind of swaying awkwardly, clapping their hands. (laughs) That is... uh, It's like, this is poorly formed idea here. Let's play this for our our team meeting today. Play the video? Uh And I just want you to stand up there with Ben next to you. Right. Ben and and they just stood there, kind of uncomfortably, and just see how Ben handles it. What are we supposed to? Ben do Carson here? handled it like a champ. And at the end, on the the video you watch, the guy gets up and he goes, um, "Ladies and gentlemen, your dinners will be served here momentarily. Thank you." And then he sat back down. <laughs> Remember to tip your waiters. Tip folks. your waiters. Folks. It was pretty funny. <laughs> that is incredible. Yeah. That um, so that was like a flying J. Truckers Lounge? No, this was a Trump <laughs> hotel, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That guy just got fired. I would say someone got in trouble over that because that was <laughs> that, that magic, was bad. That, uh, how funny. That's what's, see, Trump apparently wings a lot of stuff. He just is winging it. Yeah. Constantly winging it. You know, that. this is why you kind of don't want to wing stuff. <laughs> no. Otherwise, you're going to be up there swaying. To a lounge singer song, um, you know, with Ben Carson. Yeah. Hmm. Not not to say Ben or or Donald have any sort of moves whatsoever, but oh, Donald's got moves. <laughs> They're just. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you see Donald when that guy rushed the stage? Donald's got moves. <laughs> that was more of like survival reflex. You know what is weird about that whole thing? Um, I saw. I thought it was like some like some you know um, anti. Trump, you know, what do they call him? Extremist that was rushing the stage. Right. But you showed me video that it was Ben Carson. Was it Ben Carson? Ben Carson was sneaking up on him and scared him. Wasn't it Bernie Sanders? Oh, did I say? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Bernie Sanders. It was Bernie. I didn't see the video of Ben Carson. It was Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Yeah. That's different because I thought it was like, you know, somebody was taking a stand. No, it was Bernie. Just sneaking in on him. Um, interesting. Go- goof off day. Happy goof off day to you all. Ben, happy just normal day for you. It's also as young as you feel day. Mm. How young do you feel? Uh, <laughs> I feel um, about 59. Wow. That seems about accurate. Isn't it a little older than you actually are? Yeah. Just a little bit. but I'm trying to bring my feelings down to my age, but I feel older than I am. Wow. Yeah. Just embrace it. Yeah. Or get some braces. No, that's it. Knee I, braces, yeah. hip braces. Yeah. Back braces. Whatever you need. Yeah. Well, that was depressing. Old as you feel day. Old as you feel. See, I feel 18. I feel 12. There you go. The funny thing is you look 12, but we know you're 40 and a spy with the German spies network. I don't think you can prove that, Matt. Oh, can't I? Oh, can't I? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, can't I? No one says anything. You're like, I don't know, can you? (laughs) I was hoping someone would jump in there. Hey, um, let's get to the headlines. Then Julie Nelson will be coming to talk to us about how to talk to your kids.
You need to listen to this. About what? How to, how to talk to your kids about just life. Oh, wow. How to get them to talk, how to listen. Does she mention anything about pool noodles and how to use them? No. Mm. They've actually been banned on the show. Really? We had a segment a few weeks ago where, uh, you know, Health and Human Services called because of the, the misuse of a pool noodle. No children were harmed by the use of any pool noodles uh, at my pool house. Pool noodles so are off. not lightsabers. They, they actually are too. called into the show, didn't they? Yeah, they called into the show and then they sent a, what they call a task force to come and interview somebody in this room. Mm. <sighs> Over want... Overreaction, by the way. <laughs> Nothing is wrong with the situation. Mm-hmm. It was pretty entertaining to watch, though. Well, you know. Interrogations can be fun. I love a good interrogation. (laughs) Let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else is going on around the rest of the world? Thanks, Matt. President Obama is in Havana, Cuba. As he continues his visit to the island nation, he addressed today's terrorist attacks in Brussels. The thoughts and the prayers of the American people are with the people of Belgium. We stand in solidarity with them in condemning these outrageous attacks against innocent people. We will do whatever is necessary to support our friend and ally, Belgium in bringing to justice those who are responsible. And this is yet another reminder that the world must unite. We must be together, regardless of nationality or race or faith, in fighting against the scourge of terrorism. We can and we will defeat those who threaten the safety and security of people all around the world. At least 30 people were killed, hundreds injured following two explosions at the Brussels main international airport and a third in a subway station at the heart of the city near the headquarters complex for the European Union. The New York Police Department is tightening security across its mass transit points today on news of the Brussels terrorist attacks. Spokesman say uh, A spokesman says New Yorkers should expect to see an increased police presence at subways, landmarks, bridges, and tunnels. During a hastily arranged press conference in Washington, D.C., Senator Ted Cruz reacted to the multiple suicide attacks in Brussels that left at least 31 dead. He said this is a war, adding that the United States needs to use full force and fury against ISIS in response, even though they haven't claimed responsibility for the attacks. Hillary Clinton responded to the Brussels terrorist attacks, saying in a statement that their campaign of hate and fear will not secede. Mm. I'll not succeed there. Uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints said three Mormon missionaries were seriously injured in the terrorist attacks on the Brussels airport Tuesday morning. The church said the injured missionaries were taking a Mormon missionary serving in France to the airport when a suicide bomber killed himself oh, and wow. they were in the vicinity of the explosion. So there's three. One is a 66-year-old man, I believe, and then some uh, some younger oh, tragedy. 19, 20-year-old men that were injured in that. Ted Cruz's campaign has been exploring the option of a potential joint ticket with Marco Rubio, including looking at how the two of them would poll in certain states. However, Rubio has reportedly rejected the idea outright. Mike Lee, who endorsed Cruz, wanted to set up the meeting between the two of them, but it never happened. Rubio has previously stated he has no interest in being anyone's vice president. <laughs> that might be uh, Cruz's attempt to usurp and steal uh, Rubio's people. Yes. He wants his dele- he will Any sort of delegates, votes, bring them on over to my house. We're the joint ticket. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. <laughs> this might be of some interest to you, Matt. A Supreme Court ruling Monday suggests that a woman's right to carry stun guns for protection in public falls under the Second Amendment. Los Angeles Times reports. Taze it. 
In the, in the unanimous opinion, the justices said the Second Amendment is not only relevant to weapons useful in warfare. The court's ruling goes against an upheld criminal conviction for a Massachusetts woman who had a stun gun to protect herself from an abusive ex-boyfriend. Massachusetts, along with other states and cities, prohibit people from carrying electronic weapons that can injure people. Ha! We are going to make so much money now. There you go. Taser business. It's taking Taser off. Taser business. And ours are going to be um, bejeweled and bedazzled tasers. Mm. Those are probably the best kind. Oh, for sure. And they carry 50 more volts than the yeah. typical mm-hmm. more stun volts. gun. Yeah. More volts. More volt. You know, the, you know the rule. More volts. More. Convulsion. Mm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Good job, man. The, and finally, this uh, kind of a positive story here. A longtime usher at a church in Minnesota died late last year, leaving his home and its contents to the church he attended. Oh, cool. Uh, but when Lisa Lundstrom, chief financial officer at Celebration Church in Lakeville, Minnesota, went to take a look at the property, she was amazed. Shelves filled with scale model cars filled the foyer and then just kept going. Kitchen, living room, bedrooms, family room, huh. every available space covered with cars. The pictures have shelves. Going up the walls, just full of these cars, and they're they're just the cars that are yeah. scale model. They're they're small. The man collected. They're basically toy cars. That's great. But he collected them since he was nine years old, so they can sell those. He's sixty six, so he's got all, and, and the house is covered all kinds of cars everywhere, all over the place. They figure it's about thirty thousand cars. Holy cow! And they could get six figures back by selling these, yeah, to the right collectors. What a neat guy, too, to have his in his will be the congregation. That's great. It's said here that he started collecting when he was nine. He would sit and polish these cars every day. It was his passion. Lundstrom believes that the collection could fetch well into the six figures, most of which will go to the church about 15 miles from this man's house. The church plans to spend the money to remodel and expand its youth facilities. Excellent. That's cool. Good hero story there. Hey, uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to be speaking with Julie Nelson, the bomb mom, and uh, she's going to talk to us about listening better to our children. Huh? We're going to be learning everything you need to know to turn on those ears and uh, improve your relationship with your children. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you have children and uh, you want to improve your relationship, then, boy, have we got the next segment for you. You are going to want to listen up. Julie Nelson is joining us. She is what we call her the bomb mom. We call her the child whisperer. She's also the author of Parenting with Spiritual Power and has a master's degree in marriage, family, and human development, is a teacher, a professor at uh, Utah Valley University, where she teaches applied parenting, marriage and relationship skills, and is a blogger extraordinaire, has a website, a spoonful of parenting.com. Mm-hmm. And today you're going to talk about listening to the littles. Yes. Listen to them little kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But sometimes they just keep talking. Mm-hmm. They just keep talking. <laughs> and you want them to just go to bed. <laughs> just just give me a break for a little while, yeah. please. Mama needs a break. Mama needs a break. So 
you, you don't want to discourage them from talking because yeah. then you'll never get them to talk again. Yeah, and there's different levels of listening. Yeah, um, and this is based this this segment is based on a. I was interviewed for the Utah Valley um, 360 magazine. Yeah, and um, the lady who interviewed me wanted me to talk more about how we often are blaming our kids that they're not listening to us, right? That's right. our main complaint. Yeah. You know, we say things and they don't listen or they don't fall through or I didn't hear you, mom. And that's really a, a big problem for us. But I think that the, her point of her, um, this this article was more introspection of what maybe what are we doing right. as parents right. as parents to not listen to them that yeah. could be impeding that process. Well, and, and you can complain all you want, but you're the adult. Yeah. So you the the onus is on you, and you're the only one that can really change things, right? You know, and the child could could be maturity, it could be you know a lot of things going on with them, and so we can't fix them; they have to fix themselves. We can encourage them, we can do things to help them to pay attention right. and to and not give them too many too much information. One thing that happens with parents is we give them too much instruction, oh, yeah. and I I tell parents do the two step instruction. In other words, do this and then this, and that's all. Don't lay, lay it on them with yeah. too much information, or they're gonna they're gonna tune out after about the, the second se- sentence. Yeah, I think it's about ten seconds. Yeah, right. You got ten seconds. Yeah, yeah. and make sure that they're looking at you. Mm-hmm. And but the, th- the same things happen when we're trying to listen to them. Are we looking at them? Because the first point is is that we we multitask while we're trying to listen because we think we're just so great we can do a million yeah. things. We can do all the dishes and yeah. So my back's to my child while I'm doing the dishes, Matt, right? And right. I'm going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And really my focus is on the dishes and it also probably a million other things in my head. And I, my head to me, if you could open and crack open my, my skull, what it would look like? Oh, it would be gross. <laughs> besides being gross. Okay. Um, you know what a computer screen looks like with about 100 tabs open? Yeah, yeah. That's what my head looks like. Yeah. And so I have to do the little X on all those tabs and close them all out. And get down and to get just down to that one you, tab. To you. The little kid tab. Yeah. And that's the same thing with any relationship, um, you know, marital relationships, yeah. but especially with our kids. Now, we can have a couple tabs open and multitask if it's not important information. Right. You know, it uh, depends on what you're doing. Um, if the child comes in and says, Mother, I may join the army. <laughs> That would be a time and they're 18. to close, close the tabs. You might want to turn off the sink. Yeah. And so when they're just prattling, like you said, just all day long, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you're singing songs and stuff mm-hmm. and tell, you know, yeah, those kind of things. We can have some tabs open. What if they're doing that when they're 18? Yeah. <laughs> you hope they are. They yeah. say, mine quit talking. Mine quit talking totally. <laughs> exactly. So your brain doesn't have full capacity to attend to more than two things or even to two things fully. Hmm. We divide our attention. You have 100%, folks. That's it. And so if you have a lot of these tabs going on and your child really needs your full attention, then you're only going to be giving them 50% if your other 50% is going in other directions. So mm. if this is an important attend to moment, then close them all down and say, wait a second, in my mind, I have to really consciously say, just a minute, honey, and then and, and then dry my hands, yeah. dry my hands if I'm yeah. doing the dishes or swing around from the computer screen, you know, on my swivel chair and do whatever it takes to just kind of Excel and say, okay, I'm closing the tabs now. You're all mine right now. Well, and that tells them. That tells them uh, you are a priority. Yeah. You don't have to do that every single time a child right. talks to you. But there are moments when you know during the day, and I think there should be at least a few of these moments per day per mm-hmm. child. You know, uh, one minimum 
that yeah. we're just looking at our child and saying, I want to hear about your day at school. Tell me everything. Or, or around that. around dinner time, look him in the eye, and there's no other devices at the table. There's not a TV on, and you look him in the eye, and you are my world right now. And and that child should have a moment at least once, if not, yeah, please, that's, please more. That's one of your points is every kid needs, a, needs some time. Mm-hmm. So take him – make sure every kid's getting – time. Yeah. So don't multitask because we can attend to more things and your child will know it and your mind will start wandering. And mm-hmm. then it, so to pay attention during those moments. Next one is if you have more than one child, um, especially during those you know preschool and childhood years, they are very demanding on your time and they want you to listen, listen, listen. <laughs> one of the problems we have with parents as, as parents is who do we listen to because they're both coming at you or all five of them are coming right. at you at once. Right. Um, so how do you listen to one child at a time? Um <laughs> they often interrupt each other and they want to overtalk each yeah. other, you know, because I'm more important and listen to me. So what I would suggest to parents is, is we kind of have to close down those tabs. They're, they, all these tabs are all like talking to us all at once. So I have to say, OK, you know what? Right now it's 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 Amy's turn. And then what I'll do is to reassure the child, the other children, as yeah. I will put my arm on their – my hand on their arm so or I'll put yeah. my arm around them. You'll be touching them. Touching but them. But directing your attention exactly, to the other Exactly. It, because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a communication. It's a body language yeah, that, says, that says I'm here for you. Sit here quietly for a minute. I'm going to hold your hand, mm-hmm. but I'm listening to Amy right now. And that teaches them some really good skills of um, I can I can defer uh-huh. myself right now. I can delay some gratification. I don't have to have everything me in mind yeah. right now. Don't interrupt. Kind mm-hmm. of that. See, that's what Respect you do. Respect for yeah. others. Respect yeah. for others. Let's, well, you could even say let's listen. Let us all listen mm-hmm. to Amy right now. Yeah, exactly. And then when I when I do that, when I do say make some physical contact, it quiets them down I so they don't that. have to have the attention all at once. Um, so then if they start interjecting and start interrupting, then again, I, I ignore them or I put my hand up and say, remember, it's mm-hmm. Amy's turn. Um, and I don't give in and go, OK, what do you want? Because then it just says whoever interrupts the most gets the tension. Yeah. And so Amy gets the respect right now. And then when she's done, then it'll be your turn. And then when they listen and they, they pay attention and they're patient – then I turn to them and say, thank you so much. Now I get to listen to what you have to say. And it's a very important skill. I the kids that. delay gratification. They defer that. Um, I need to have it now. It's all me and mine, um, especially preschoolers because they often think that the world revolves around them. Well, and, you, and you're pointing out their progress. So you're saying, great job. Thank mm-hmm. you for listening. Mm-hmm. Now, Amy, let's listen to Stacy. Exactly. And especially when there's a conflict, when they come running into the room at one, at, you know, together. She hit hey, me. She hit me. Yeah. And they're both talking at the same time. How do you tease apart that? No, you just say, ah, don't make me get up. <laughs> don't make me put this Heads remote control. Roll. This remote control down. Um, so, yeah, you've got to say, okay, let's listen to this person first. And then, like you said, then Amy listens to the other one or yeah. whoever it is. Yeah. And we take turns listening to each other because often in a conflict, it's because we don't oh. know the other person yeah, right. in front of you. And we kind of – we want to be efficient yeah. when, you, when they kind of just need to be vented. Let's let's take a break, Julie. Uh, we're speaking with Julie Nelson from a aspoonfulofparenting.com. A great resource, a great website. you got to go check it out. We'll come back and continue learning more about listening better to our children. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome. 
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio with us is Julie Nelson from the website, a spoonful of parenting.com. She's talking to us about being a better listener as a parent. Quit just expecting your kids to listen to you. You need to listen to them. You've taught us stop multitasking, make sure you're focusing, paying attention. Take it one kid at a time and even teach your kids that we're going to listen one kid at a time. Not everyone's going to talk. So you kind of teach them the rules of yeah. social negotiation. Exactly. Really. really, from young. You know, yeah. we learn how to take turns, how to listen. And then we'll talk a little bit later about how to really, um, to active listening. Right, right yeah. Um, so number three is to listen on their level. We really appreciate when we make eye contact during a conversation. And kids are no different. If you want your child to listen to you, then it's important that there's not an imbalance of power. And one of the things that you do, wrong parents, is that we stand up at our full stature while listening to the child who's down here. And they're staring at our navel. Yeah. And looking at our navel. Never good. Never good. Never good. My navel's not beautiful anyway. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. So better you, to so as you're saying, get down on their so level. So please remember to be in the child's world. To be in their world means to be down next to their their face, hmm. to see things how they see it. And so if they're on the floor, get down on the floor and sit next to them. Don't stand there looming over them because then that means it's a really intimidating oh, yeah. posture. Yeah. That posture is I'm in charge and you're the you know. And and don't clinch your fist. Yeah, and don't wave your finger. That's right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I've been trying to teach that to Ben. Because we do these things. That's, it's, called, it's a power pose, right? Yeah. We put our hands on our hips like mm-hmm. this, like, you know, with your yeah, elbows like out. Like Wonder Woman. Yeah, like Wonder Woman, which means I'm trying to make myself larger than I am. That's yeah. that's the signal. Or the finger waving mm-hmm. or whatever it might be. That's all meaning I'm intimidating you. That's good. So get down and do this relaxed pose. If they're on the couch, if a teenager's on the couch, don't, don't stand over them and talk to them. But sit down on the couch so that you're both equal. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love then that. They'll, then they'll, you'll be able to listen better to them. Or if it's a preschool or if it's a young child, just get on your knee and get down and just look them in the eye. And I love to reach out and touch their hands while I'm talking to them too. It helps yeah. me to focus as well yeah. if I'm making some kind of a physical. And it calms some people. Mm-hmm. I mean some get creeped out, but it calms most of them. Non-preschoolers never creeps them out. Yeah, they no, love it. I'm talking more about like my peers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't do it to, to adults. Yeah. No. Like, I always don't get down on hands. a knee and then – don't hold their, their hands. Hand no, don't like, hold their hands. But little you? kids, little kids, hold their hands That's or put your advice. hand on their arm. It helps you to stay connected, make that physical as well as the emotional yeah. co- communication. Um, next one is to go on a sabbatical from offering your opinions, yeah. especially with um, older childhood and adolescence. They need to start learning how to figure things out for themselves. So when they're talking, when you're listening to them, don't be rushing to, well, I can fix that for you or I know the answer to that. I would suggest, as this author does, is to take a challenge to keep your mouth shut when you should be listening and try this challenge for one week. Hmm. Take a a sabbatical. Um, One week, resist the urge to offer your opinion unless they expressly ask for it. And it's rare that a teenager will say, I really love your opinion, mom or dad. Yeah, I've noticed very few people ask me for opinions. Even though we're the experts. I'm like, you know, I know this stuff. I know I'm an expert, but they never ask me. But don't you hate it? Like I have a lot more people ask me just out in the world for my advice than at home. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, do you guys know who I am? (laughs) I do the same thing. You guys have no clue. I've written books on this. you know how lucky you are to have me? Exactly. You need to come to my house and tell my kids that too. I'll go to your house. Just switch. Switch. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, the wife swap yeah. thing will be a parent swap. Yeah, parent swap. Yeah. And then your husband and I can hang out. <laughs> exactly. You love him. That'd be great. But the parents, the kids don't listen to us. And so we really need to just uh, 
yeah. not, just not jump off. in jump in with our advice right. because then they're going to stop listening to us. They're going to be like yada yada yada, mm-hmm. mom, quit telling me. Eh. And then when you do offer it, it might be like something they really is new. Mm-hmm. Then it matters. So, so taking a sabbatical and just listen, simply listen. Um, when uh, when we do listen for someone, we should be very careful that we don't finish their sentences for them or come up with rebuttal or response, um, and and say things like and and what next, mm-hmm. um, and and then what happened? Oh, I'm so interested in hearing about just leading in questions, and then yeah. what did you think? And yeah. then what that kind of stuff? Listen and don't have any agenda at the end that I'm going to tell you. Well, when I was a child, this is what I did, or it was worse for me. Or you I, have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I walked up uphill <laughs> both ways to school. Um, so you want to make sure that you um, listen fully and validate their their. That's th- true. Yeah, at the moment, yeah. and don't have and just to, for one week. Try it out, parents. See how it improves your relationship, and see how it improves your listening skills because most of the time we're spending our energy inside our head thinking about what I'm going to say next or how I'm going to tell you how to fix your problem and less on just listening to your child and Hmm. being there for them. Okay. That's great. And the last one is part of this is the last one is practice your active listening, which would be part of this when you go on the sabbatical or any time when you're listening. And that is, is that when you do active listening, Matt, you know all about active listening. Tell us what it. It's one of the hardest things I think to learn for people. Mm -hmm. It's where you, so when you say something to me, instead of me answering, agreeing, disagreeing, or you know, even responding, I just try to reflect back, mm-hmm. reiterate back what I hear you saying from your frame of reference. Yeah. So then what I would say is, Matt, what I'm hearing you say is, is that active listening is when I don't have any kind of agenda and I'm just going to reflect back what you have just said. Excellent. And then See? you give me feedback uh-huh. of, did I hear you correctly? Yeah. That's yeah. what active listening is. And that's all, I mean, that's all it is. But for some people... It's so foreign. Mm-hmm. Like so, I teach this every day to couples, and man, they struggle. Yet, they, it's because you want to get in and tell your story. But your job here isn't to tell your child your story. Your job is to hear their story, and that'll lower their emotion, and that'll lower, that'll increase your understanding. And yeah, and so part of what you want to do in this whole sabbatical, from your opinion, is then to not is not just sit there with a blank, you know, face and blank yeah. head. Are you done? Are you done? <laughs> are you, are you but done? you're going to then – we don't want to say parrot back because that uh-huh. sounds very – you know. Yeah. I don't want to say word for word. But you want to restate it in your own words what you heard them say. Yeah. So parents, try that. So you say something like, so what I heard is what you said was this. Am I correct? Or what I heard you say was this. Or did you mean this? And then restate it for them. Mm-hmm. Did you mean this? Is this what you were saying? And oftentimes when a child comes in and they say something kind of hostile or nasty or a little bit rude, then if you say, so what you – did you say this? Is that what you mean to say? And then when you state it back to them, they're like, oh my gosh. That's no, not, that's I didn't a, mean that. that. No, that's not yeah. really bad. Sorry, And, and you can't add your – you can't add your – angle on it. Like, so so did, did you mean that you're so pathetic and weak that there's no way on earth you could possibly do your homework? Yes. Don't do any kind of yeah. labeling in there. Yeah. Just repeat back what they said and having them hear what they said mm-hmm. might lower their emotional state. I love that. Because it will, it will too because you're letting their story out mm-hmm. and their story is what's causing emotion. Mm-hmm. 
And if they're not saying anything rude, just saying something like, "I got cut from the volleyball team today, Mom. It was、mm. awful. I was so humiliated." And you're like, "Oh my gosh, honey, it must you must have been really, really hurt about that. So it was really humiliating. Yes, it was. And you just feel、yeah. you feel heard. That's so much. You feel、better. understood.、Um, and on, all you're doing is having a shoulder to cry on. And we want to fix it. Like, well, you you know what? That coach didn't know what he was doing.、Mm-hmm. And but the minute you jump in on that, you're not hearing their story. Yeah. You want to get their story out, then it's kind of out of them,、mm-hmm. and that's all they want. They、that's、want a shoulder、great. to cry on or someone to be heard. And that's that's、mm-hmm. active listening. Active listening. So basically, listening. I guess you're saying it's important. Yeah. So, so stop, we got to do it. Stop multitasking. Parents, when the moment、um, calls for it, take one kid at a time. If they're coming at you like an army,、um, or if they're arguing and stuff, and you have to tease apart the argument, listen on their level. Get down on their level. Go on a sabbatical from offering your opinion, and then practice active listening. Love it. Okay. You did it again. All righty. See how simple that is. Oh, hard, when you're a highly hard, trained professional, yeah, hard to hard to say or hard to do, but easy to say. Totally,、yeah. Julie K. Nelson's her name. A spoonful of parenting dot com is her game. Go check out that website, a spoonful of parenting dot com. You can get her books, her latest blogs, everything she does. She's the bomb mom. Thanks, Jules. Hey, good to be here. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. We'll take a break. Come back. Visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're going to send it down to our good buddies at、uh, BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Spencer and Jerem, hello, gentlemen. Hello, sir. How, Arcade Fire, very nice. Ooh, very good. Get Arcade Fire. Wake up. I just keep thinking about the trailer from Where the Wild Things Are because that's the song that was used for it. I'm still trying to figure out where they are. You guys are so hip. You know, if I had a nickel, man. If I had a nickel for how hip you both were, I'd I could, have. I could buy whatever two I nickels. Want off the dollar menu. <laughs> yeah, I'd be up to a dollar. Hey,、um, you guys.、Uh, you know, you still you still loving life, or you still healthy? I think last time we talked, we were missing Jerome. Jerome, are you healthy?、Uh, I've got a cold. Do you a little chest cold? A little sinus cold? Where's the cold?、Uh, a little sinus cold. Oh. I couldn't sleep very well. Yeah, yeah you're not doing that today. I mean, none of that today. Yeah, I'm in like gear two and a half. Really? I'm normally in gear four or five. Wow. God, it. it's a long day. Spencer's gonna have a lot of work to do. He always does. He carries the show. I've, I, for his birthday, I'm going to get him a, a coupon for a massage、mm-hmm. because he carries the show. Oh my goodness. Do you know what? I was thinking about you. Because I think you、oh. both carry the show, and I think you both carry it beautifully, and I think you both carry it in a loving way for each other. <laughs> What was that? That's a gong. Oh yeah. Yeah.、Okay. N- never point. When you say something like super epic, <laughs> yeah, or emotional. No, that was just funny. I thought. Hey.、Um, Here's what I really wanted to get to because、uh, I don't know if you noticed this. Jerem was missing yesterday, and then all of a sudden I get this report about an Indianapolis man who pleaded guilty to theft、um, because he tried to steal eighty dollars worth of steak from the grocery store by sticking it down his pants. Jerem's at it again. I knew it. Jerem loves himself some steak. 
I do love myself some steak. So is it true that you did try to stick 80 pounds or $80 worth of steak down your pants and shoplift it? It's not true. Okay. No, say it. It's for <laughs> also, real. Also, I would like to speak with my lawyer. <laughs> That I don't have. I knew. Jared loves steak, but I don't think he loves steak enough to. I love cheap steak. Steal uh, $80. Did you say cheese steak or cheap steak? Cheap steak. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that why you steal the. Was that cheap $80 worth of cheap steak? Yeah. Because that's a lot of steak. I'm to talk to my lawyer as well. Yeah, you don't want to say it. I understand. What is. Okay, let, let's, let's just turn this to a better conversation. What is the best <laughs> thing you've ever shoplifted out of a uh, store? Oh, my God. Uh, Oh, probably a pack of baseball cards when I was like seven. Yes. A girl's phone number. Yeah. Ooh. Really? What was her name? Was, Pat. Huh? <laughs> Wait, is she a girl? Wait, what? Who? <laughs> <laughs> classic SNL skit. Pat? <laughs> it's Pat. I love that. Hey, you. Oh, that was a great set. I don't oh. think that would go over as well today. Probably not. You know. Yeah, probably not. That hey, used us, to be Let hilarious. us know when we're on the air, man. Yeah. Well, well, we're not on for a few more minutes. Oh, okay. Hey, also, I wanted to wonder, I mean, I was wondering if you knew about the new Cadbury cream um, product that's coming out. No, what's up? Are you guys into Cadbury cream eggs and things? I like the Cadbury just chocolate eggs with the thin, crispy shell. They're like mm. um, like high-end M&Ms, if you will. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes, a higher-end M and M as M and M's are to the lower yeah. class, Cadbury yes. is to the middle class. Like, like is targets like... the Walmart for the middle class. Mm-hmm. Cadbury is Lexus, and M and M's are Toyota. Mm. Okay, <clears throat> okay. Um, uh, I think this this is going to then be more of like a Jaguar. The Cadbury cream eggs. Uh, apparently, they've put together a a Cadbury cream pizza egg pizza. It's a sweet 10-inch 10 10 inch pie covered with chocolate sauce, sprinkled with marshmallows, brownie, meringue, topped with a soft cream egg. Well, there you have it. Oh, yeah. mm. How much does this cost? $10 billion. <laughs> they don't give us a price. We're not here to sell them. Uh, We're just here to talk about them. Talk about Cadbury eggs. If talk Jeremy about that, He's going to go into first model. gear in about five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, if yep. he ate that, he'd pep right up. Yeah, I'm in neutral right now. <laughs> That's it. You know what? We're going downhill. Tell your team I'm to bring you. You're, you need a stimulant. You need some caffeine or you need some chocolate. Well, I'm just going low energy so I can be high energy in a moment. Oh, this is going to be great. You're going to turn it on, aren't you? Yeah, I'll turn it on. This will be great. I lost. One time I was really sick and called a women's basketball game back in like 2009. Uh-huh. I remember that. Okay. And I, I lost my voice during the game, during the broadcast. Really? Second half, I was like, <laughs> No, we actually, we actually have footage from that. Listen to this. Me, 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 me. <laughs> that was really good play-by-play. Yes, play. Beaker? Is that what that is? <laughs> that was Beaker. Yeah, it was crazy. I um, felt like an idiot. See, but that also meant you left it all out on the court. That's, that's the goal. Literally on the mic. They had to replace <laughs> the microphone. <laughs> After. Oh, I went to Robbie just... Bolo and then no, Spencer. Lincoln. I think when the you have man, low energy, mantle. you don't you don't censor very well, Jerem. I know I'm not LOLing. No. Hey, funny story. Yeah. Uh, one of our 
production assistants, Brandon Crow, is putting together some videos for the Y Awards, which are quickly approaching. It's Why? Kind of like BYU's version of the I XPs. remember. No, that this is where you guys... We're hosting again. Yeah, yeah of so course. Wednesday. Yes. So there is a... <laughs> he's playing a highlight, and I my first reaction was, who in the world is calling that game? <laughs> and it was me when I was super sick. I didn't know it was me. He's Did like, bro, this is you when you had that epic cold. And I'm do you like, remember emphysema? Oh my gosh, that is that is me. Do you remember me last year when I lost my voice? That was embarrassing. That was terrible. But they're, and they're going to replay that. And I took a few days well, off during that time, by the way. I, I kind of. It just sounds like somebody different, you know. So it's not like it was a bad call. It just sounds like somebody entirely different. Yeah. The yeah. yo yo dribble, everybody hopped to the left. Wow, that's really nasally. It was just really low, actually. Like, <laughs> cold shaver. <laughs> yeah, you sound like just some old, angry New Yorker. Yeah, I want to call this Donald Trump. Some beef. I would win the election in the Vatican. Hey, you guys, what's coming up on your show today? You're doing your show, right? With with sickly Jerome. Dude, it's BYU basketball game day. Mm. Trip to New York City on the line for the Cougars. Senior day Huge. part two. Kyle Collinsworth, by the way, has the flu. So TBD. Uh, I know. What the, the, so he, he's reportedly questionable for the game. They're, I'm going to tell you why that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever Absolutely. Known. They're faking everybody out. He'll show up and throw down a triple-double. <laughs> that's what people are saying. And then he'll cough. Yeah. Not I a, don't know that he probably will probably not a triple throw double. down a triple-double. Now, if he did put up a triple-double with the flu that in the NIT quarterfinals, Get that would be one of the most epic performances Get ever. Here. Mm. Roxy Bernstein, who's calling the basketball match Sweet. on, ES, on uh, ESPN tonight. He'll be in studio. Roxy. Colton Shaver, top 10 hitter in the country right now. Man. BYU's power hitter. He's fantastic. Cougars ranked 24th. Yeah. He'll join us in studio from the baseball team who's 18-2. and two. They're kicking butt. Big And league. then uh, McKenna Bull threw a no-hitter last week on the softball team. She'll join us in studio as well. There you go. What a, what a great Epic. name for a pitcher, by the way. Oh, Bull. totally. I'm McKenna Bull. And Her what a cool name. Roxy, are you kidding? That's a cool name, too. We need cooler names. I mean, don't get me wrong. Jerome's cool. We've got a Bull, I feel like my a name's... Shaver, and a Roxy on the show today. I feel like my name's pretty cool. It's yeah. like ancient. It is. Yeah, it's it's like cool. It's like, yeah, it's like kind of a... My name's like 2,200 years old. Is it real? Yeah, Jerome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it is old. Matthew, I don't know if you know what it means. It, Matthew means a gift from God. It means by the mall. No, 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 no. It's a different Matthew. It means a gift from God. Oh. Well, we'll see about that. Anyway. Gifts. <laughs> anyway, guys, you're, you're going to have a great show. Your I can already languages. tell. We'll, we'll, we'll teach you your we'll teach you your love languages later. Thanks for being on the show and Thanks, go Matt. knock him dead, Spence. Okay. Uh, you might want to stay away from Jerome though, because apparently he's going to be coughing something. Well, too out. late for that. I'm, ne- <laughs> I'm next to him for at least the next hour. That sounds like Bane with a cough. Hey guys, you feeling John? <laughs> <laughs> Good luck, gentlemen. Have a great show. Knock him dead. Bye bye. Oh man, yeah, it's bad when you got a cough. I've got a little cough, a little tickle, a little tickle in my cougher. But, um, you know, I'm just going to push through. I'm just going to push through. We're almost done with the show. I got to tell you this story. Uh, as you know, we like to help all people, all people. Bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? Folks, um, watch out for the Easter bunny because sometimes some bunnies are a little nicer than others. <laughs> A New Jersey shopping mall Easter bunny erupted into fury 
uh, brawling with customers Sunday night, just steps from his children's photo studio in Jersey City. According to social media images and video from Jersey City's Newport Center, a man in a rabbit costume is shown throwing punches at adults who appeared to be waiting in line for a photo. Security guards are then seen attempting to break up the fight with the bunny still clad in white fuzzy pants and gloves and a blue velveteen coat. Jersey City police and mall officials were unable to identify any assailants late Sunday, and it was unclear if charges would be filed. Like, you can't identify a man in a bunny outfit. What did the man look like? Well, he looked like a bunny with a blue velveteen jacket. He started hopping that way. (laughs) How hard could it be to catch a man in a bunny outfit. I mean, seriously, if th- that's the problem. They were in New Jersey, right? There are probably a lot of men in bunny outfits in New but Jersey. But if you had been in Wyoming, you give a guy a, a you know, whatever, a shotgun and a bunny, give him one minute. He'll get that bunny. Get their blood bloodhound out there. Get him, boy. Chase that bunny down. <laughs> Holy cow. You can't even trust the Easter Bunny anymore. Hey, as you know, we like to end with a hero story. Got a great uh, story for you today. New In New Orleans, an 18-year-old man who helped foil a robbery during his job interview at Popeye's Eatery in New Orleans was rewarded with employment. Daniana Meteor, uh, assistant manager at the Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen location, said a man came into the store Sunday and asked the cashier to give him change for a dollar. The man then reached into the register while it was open and grabbed a handful of cash before running out the door. The assistant manager grabbed the man by the arm and soon received unexpected reinforcements from Devin Washington, 18, who was interviewing for a job at the eatery at that time. So he was just in there for his job interview. They said the interviewee took him off of me and held him while uh, with another employee while the police showed up. The, the uh, suspect, Pablo Siscard, 50, was arrested and charged on simple robbery and fugitive attachment. And uh, he is now, you know, he's going into the pokey. But uh, Devin, this uh, great kid, Devin Washington, not only helped protect the rest of the employees, but by golly, it earned him a job at Popeye's Louisiana Kitchen. How cool is that? Devin, you are the hero of the day for uh, stepping in and going above and beyond the call of duty, even at a Popeye's. And, uh, folks, that's what being a hero is all about, just being there, doing what you need to do in the moment you need to do it. That's also the reason we do the show, because we think you are all heroes. And if we just could see the good in the world, we could lift the world to that better level. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger. Take care of each other. We'll talk again tomorrow.